Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 223rd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that stands, as we all should, with the movement to end racial injustice and defund police services in favor of more effective options. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. <clears throat> Excuse me. Good evening, everyone. Um, glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, what is on the agenda this week? Well, this week we have a show in, I don't know, some some indeterminate number of parts. The first, uh, the MTGO Metagame Week in Review. We've got Standard, um, Pioneer, and Modern to look at in the wake of the Companion change. We have Segment 2, our top paper movers, the cards that have moved the most in price this week in paper. Uh, then top MTGO movers, the most movement in price on cards on Modo. Segment three, our cards to watch. James and I will talk about some cards that we think have a uh, potentially positive outlook on life. And finally, segment four, our topic of the week, Core Set 2021 and the Summer Product Mix. Uh, we'll talk about some of our the standouts so far and the general product release schedule and see where all that lands us. So let's get started over here. Um, let's let's go left to right. Newest to oldest standard event taken down by Teamer Reclamation. Some John Sacri- three John Sacrifice in there as well as a Black Red Sacrifice. So that seems to really be the uh, the strategy to be at the moment, at least out of the gate here. We did flag that when we were looking at metas when companions were dominating, noting that Jun Sacrifice was one of the, and red-black Sacrifice variants, were one of the only archetypes in Standard that seemed to be able to compete with the companion builds that didn't feel the need to add a companion of their own um, or give up on their, their structure. So in that meta, they were starting a card down. Um, but there's such a good strong value engine um, going on in that deck that it was still putting up results. So I'm not surprised to see it taking up half of the top eight coming out of companions largely being neutered. We've gone from having something like 60 to 85% of decks uh, across top eights and major tournaments for standard pioneer and modern, all being companion decks to just a single companion represented in these 24 decks. Hmm. That is uh, quite the change. Now, you know, it does lead me to wonder how much of that is people don't know how to make use. Like, they're trying to figure out how to utilize companions now that the game has changed a little bit. Uh, And the old sacrifice deck, you know, you can basically just go back to what you were doing before and be totally fine. So I wouldn't count them out entirely. Um, And Yorion seems like the one who will most 
most likely to recover, but yeah, it does seem like uh, the impact, at least so far, is exactly what Wizards wanted. Yeah. So rounding out that, we had a Torbrand Red. That's the mid-range red um, build that's been hanging around in standard for a while. And then a Bant Control build, uh, leveraging Planeswalkers, Uro Control Elements, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so nothing terribly exciting here. I guess interesting to see that it's, you know, how the format's adjusting to the loss of companions, but. It's still a narrow enough field with so many familiar elements that I think most standard players are pretty bored. Yeah. Um, And it's entirely possible that the combination of no hope for competitive play in 2020 in terms of live events, uh, in person events anyway, uh, and the, the. normal period of uh you know summer doldrums that is typically experienced um for magic the gathering as people tend to head outdoors where they can in the summer months uh may contribute to standard being left largely by the wayside um other you know outside of arena where i'm sure people will still be on the grind yeah that's a good point that you know seasonally this is a bad time of the year for magic prices um people just they have left college although in this case they left college a while ago they um you know they're outside they're doing fun things you know that's not most magic players most magic players aren't doing any of those things uh but you know it definitely slows down in the summer this is sort of the lull and one of the best buying seasons is actually coming up would be you know like late august um is typically a good time to attack cards at least that you're interested in for standard uh whenever that happens so not too surprising that there's not a lot going on here anyways yeah uh so over in pioneer we've got uh t- the top eight being uh, headlined by uh collected company spirits bant spirits Blue Black Inverter took second and fifth slots. Uh, Mono Black Vampires was in third. Naya Winoda uh, making some headway in Pioneer, one of the formats where she is not banned. Hmm. Uh, Breach Combo, uh, Underworld Breach out of Theros Beyond Death. Uh, green Ramp on the back of Castle Garenbrig in seventh. And then a Mono Red build that looks fairly similar to the one in Standard, but with the elements that are uh, available in Pioneer. In uh, fun to see Coco back, back in Pioneer. I feel like we haven't seen much of that in a while, and it's one of the cards that everyone has kind of been like, "Well, why is this not in Pioneer more?" Um, and a good mix overall here, really. Um, you know, I guess people were like, "Well, Luris is banned." Your uh, wait, Luris is banned. Essentially, the companion changes said to people, you know what, I'm just going to go play what I want in Pioneer Well, I let the pros figure out what's good. Yeah, I mean, the super qualifiers have been taken down on Magic Online, which they weren't, they didn't seem to be firing. So it could be that the allure of competitive Magic is wearing off on Magic Online without much to to grind towards. Um, And with the kind of the remnants of the pro tour looking like they are mostly about standard and mostly about arena. Um, you know, you could see pioneer and modern take a hit here. It's going to be very interesting to see whether the flow of trophies falls off as we head into summer. Yeah. I, do we have any sort of data for how 
much play is being seen on the format like or is that is that too proprietary well you can track trophies like that's what we're doing in our our magic online thread here and there is people are you know counting total trophies which represents total number of leagues that have been run right okay you can also you can also check event participation numbers in terms of how many people uh sign up for the super qualifiers i think the super qualifiers either required 64 or 128 to go off i'd have to double check that and I think that several of them in the last uh, couple of weeks did not go off. There just wasn't enough interest. And w- that's interesting if you're a, de- a solid grinder, because I think when those events, you know, barely fill, uh, you're getting max EV. You have a very good chance of, of doing as well as could be expected in that environment. Because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you know, as with, you know, any tournament, I think I went four, two and one in a tournament at GP Toronto a few years back and got a box and a half, <laughs> you know, the, the, the situations where the prize structure is expecting a much larger field than shows up. Yeah. I remember, I remember having that happen a couple times uh, when I was playing in Toronto as well at GPs way back in the day, like scars of mirrored and era. And uh, if you went like four, Oh, you got uh, an entire box at the time. So you'd go, you know, at 3-0, you would just split with the guy and you'd both walk away with half a box for going 3-0, which was like, this is a lot better than my normal FNM, especially since it's free. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll be curious to see, to have, to, you know, for people to check in, in say, you know, late August, September, what the numbers look like, because I wouldn't be surprised to see those start to fall off uh, more and more uh, just because... Playing, uh, like you said, playing competitively online is fun and interesting, but kind of like up to a point. And when you realize that it's not for anything, right? Like you're not, it's not, it's not holding you over until Paper Magic's back because Paper Magic just isn't coming back anytime soon. It seems like you'd probably have at risk losing a lot of the less serious players um, who are just here for something to do. You know, you're going to keep your Sandy Dogs, but what about everybody else? And right, there's some, anything else? Anything else jump out at you in that that set of lists? No, not really. Other than it's just it's interesting to see what's going on over there. And if there, you know, there's some cards that we'll talk about in the core twenty one stuff later that are interesting. Look like they could do something for the format, but there's issues with that as well. But we'll get there when we get there. Um, modern double band control, and then another Yorion deck in top three. So not completely out of it. A mill snuck in in fifth place. That's always fun to see. I don't mill's kind of close to my heart, not because I like love mill, but uh, I respect. I played it at a couple GPs. I respect it. I think it's a good, good under the radar contender. The Ponza deck popped up again, um, which we've seen several times now. So it looks like Modern's doing okay too, and Modern also has some fun looking toys in Core Twenty One as well. Um, just kind of a shame nobody can play any of the paper cards. The top three decks in the modern tournament were all variants on Bant Control. And the one that was most interesting interesting to me was the one that finished third place. Because instead of, I think the second place deck ran five Planeswalkers, two Jace, one to Big Teferi, two Little Teferi. The first place deck was running three Jace, the Mind Sculptor. The third place deck only one, ran three Teferi, Time Raveler. And then had things like Kitchen Finks, Knight of Autumn, Restoration Angel, and Vendillion Click, along mm. with Venser Shaper Savant, and then ran four Wall of Blossoms and four Wall of Omens, so that's eight walls that draw a card when they come into play, 
and then ran a single copy of Arcades, The Strategist, uh, a core set mythic from last summer that basically lets all your walls deal damage. Uh, uh, um, first of all, lets them attack and lets them deal damage equal to their toughness. And when a creature with Defender comes into play, you draw a card. So if you have Arcades in play and you play a Wall of Blossoms, you draw two cards and yeah. drop a 4-4 four, four on the playing field for two mana. Yeah, that is uh, that is gross. Uh, it's, yeah, that's not even bad control, really. Well, I still got okay. Supreme Verdicts, Dovin Vetoes, Force Negation, and Path to Exiles, and On Thin Ice. It's definitely got well, control elements with Fairy Time Reveler. So I'm going to say spot removal isn't control. Like, but spot removal doesn't necessitate control because sure. virtually every deck has to play spot removal. So you have the Supreme Verdicts, which is definitely a controlly card. But and six Cantor's sa- main. Sure. Well, yeah, yeah. Which is more than your average. I'm not denying that. But at the same time, if you're playing, you know, a whole suite of Restoration Angels and stuff like that, it starts to feel an arcade arcades with the intent of like attacking with your cards. So it's yeah, yeah. Mid mid range creature mid- combo control. So it's funny because there's actually a bit of a, a legend here um, in the Buffalo Magic scene. Although you, I guess it would only a, a legend within our social circle, but. There was a player who played a Bant mid-range deck back in, like, um, Dragon's Maze Standard. And it ran, like, Voice of Resurgences and that type of stuff. Uh, but it had Supreme Verdict's main. And it, it it was just sort of an... It was sort of an odd call, especially if you knew the guy who was playing it. His reasoning for all of this was, was insane. But, um, like, playing sweepers in your, like, mid-rangey creature-based deck wasn't necessarily the worst play uh it had it had some game to it especially because people just wouldn't be able to it would never expect supreme verdict out of a deck playing cards like that so you could really nail people with it i don't know i guess my point is that i have definitely seen mid-range builds play sweepers uh and i don't think it's as crazy as it seems at first glance the other part that's interesting here is this is the deck that had the companion this is a yorion deck with 80 cards so when mm. Yorion comes in and you've got eight walls that blink and draw two, you could draw play a play a wall that turn, draw two if you already got another wall in play, draw another four at the end of the turn. Yeah, that's gross. The ability to just refill so fast. It look it looks fun too because I bet when for most of the decks he was playing against, they did not have a clue what his list looked like until it was already upon them. Uh, yeah, I mean that doesn't sound. I mean I've definitely seen lists of this nature before but it doesn't sound like a particularly known quantity right now um what else is in here anything that you thought was particularly else particularly cool or exciting humans had two general kudro and you mentioned the blue black mill deck white red burn pretty standard issue blue red control running to the royal scions and then the red-green Ponza list continues to do well with Clothis, which was another card we flagged as something that could appreciate in paper, given, you know, if competitive magic reboots, um, and is almost certainly a, a pickup, uh, or has been a pickup and may continue to do well on Magic Online, where it doesn't seem like this card or this deck is going anywhere. Yeah, that definitely seems like the smarter play at the moment. Um, really, all of these are... You know, feels like there'd be a lot more to discuss here if people had any reasonable expectation of playing Magic, Paper Magic again this year. And even if a couple people are playing F&M or what have you, 
um, the number of people slinging paper cards is still going to be so much lower than it would have been otherwise that, you know, those sparse FNMs uh, are not going to be enough to, to save, to save all this stuff. Uh, I would imagine that what's saving local LGSs that haven't gone under yet is a shift into board games. If you can curbside deliver board games, you're going to have all sorts of families showing up to pick that stuff up because mm-hmm. they're bored out of their minds. Yeah, um, that, I believe that. I wonder if the uh, if the manufacturing is going to catch up to them at some point. I'm in the process of building a new computer because this one is questionable, uh, and getting a hold of parts has actually been very difficult. Uh, and like power supplies, especially like your. <laughs> they, if you, if they exist, you are paying $200, $300 for something that cost 70 bucks three months ago. Uh, and I wonder if board games are running into something similar. Because they do not print huge amounts of those to begin with. Truth. All right, so we're going to move on to uh, top paper movers of the week. Still plenty of action, although I would argue almost all of this is EDH-driven, which completely syncs with what I'm seeing with my single sales, which are soaring at present, but only because my inventory tends to focus on $20 plus EDH cards. And this is unbelievably uh, a sweet spot <laughs> that I did not mm-hmm. see coming. The The idea that the hobby of building decks for Commander would keep the singles market alive in a way that I think would be much more problematic for vendors uh, if the focus on increasing focus on commander from the last three to five years was not in play. Yeah, it is interesting that it, it, it's the, the idea of building decks seems to be have enough steam that it's keeping people interested, even if there's no intention of playing them really anytime soon. Have you played a single game of magic in the last three months? Uh, no, but to be fair, you'd have to dial that time frame back a lot further to be, to be fair and to, uh, hit a yes. Uh, but nobody I know has either. No one's played any paper magic at all. Um, and I'm friends with some people who are on the grind, but it's just not, not something to make a push for, you know? Yep. Um, all right. So did you, have you played any of the like VR stuff? Or I'm sorry, not VR. Uh, <laughs> VR. Digital. Yeah. Digital games. Well, I'm playing Arena now, which is new. That's that's COVID based. Um, okay. And we launched, of course, our tournament series for our members, which had uh, a few dozen people participate last week. And um, we have a top eight coming up within the week. So I I tried. I, I want it knowing that I tried. I got an account. I built the deck, and I every time I had an hour free, I got into that channel and tried to pick up a game. Well, I mean, you, you were pretty late to the party, though. Most of the action went down in the first four or five days, and you were absent during that period. Sure. Um, by the time you showed up, the reason you weren't getting matches is because everybody had played their games. I still want credit for having tried. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, give you, we'll give you partial credit. The, I, I think Arena's a good bargain. Like, I think, I think the Arena grind is totally fine. People were bitching today that because Fabled Passage is being reprinted in the core set, um, which was a little bit of a shocker to some people today. It was a rumor we had heard a while back um, as it was part of the information package that was floating around on various uh, dark portions of the interwebs, as it were. Um, 
that we flagged weeks or months ago. And when we first heard it, we were like, eh, really? Like, that seems weird. But then I just came, I, I started thinking, oh, well, they want it post-rotation. And I even went so far as to make that statement on Twitter today and then had to walk it back because somebody immediately slapped me upside the head with, no, man, they, they rotate at the same time. Like Eldrain's last fall, not the fall before. So even though it feels like a million years ago. So you basically just have three sets apart, same card. <laughs> and they don't rotate. And one of them's not rotating this fall. They're both in it together. And so even Otter, because extended arts, collector boosters, etc., have been uh, extended to include the core sets. You now have core set Fabled Passage uh, extended art and extended art foils in both Eldrain and Core 21. And to make it even a, a little more grinding, they're the, using the exact same art. Mm-hmm. I, I, my, you know, I would have said the exact same thing like, oh, they're doing it so that they don't, you know, it, it stays legal. And someone also would have told me that I was stupid. And then I would have been like, well, what do you know? And gotten huffy about it. But like, yeah, I okay. I mean, <laughs> so this is one way of addressing the we want reprints concern. Yep. Give them to like, them all the time. Okay. Yeah, here you go. Like, you want reprints? Well, we're not going to give you a chance to get angry about them. We're just going to give them to you, like flood the market, and now you've got plenty of time to get access to them. Uh, which, like, in the defense of people who get frustrated about reprint, uh, isn't really helpful because that's. Very good for the people that are playing Magic today, but very bad for the people who join up. Like, not nearly as good for people who join up in, like, three years who missed all of that. Missed it when they were cheap, basically. Yeah, the... I don't have a problem with them doing it. If they think that this card is so important to Standard, um, or the combination of Standard and Pioneer, that they believe it it benefits those formats to have it both present and cheap. I get, I got, I'm getting caught holding four foil extended arts that I got as part of a buy list out from CK in the winter. I think they were valued at about 90 bucks at the time. I would expect them to come down a significant portion, probably lose 50% of their value or something in the face of this. Um, and it's entirely possible that they'll just go at it again. Like keep in mind that challenger decks for standard have already, uh, changed course in the sense that they are printing, they used to print staples from the year before in the spring before they rotated so that vendors at least got a full year to sell singles out of sets. But this year they changed their mind and said, nah, we're just going to print whatever the decks need. And Mm -hmm. so they've already given us more fabled passages via the challenger decks in the spring, which isn't a huge amount of inventory, but it matters. And then I would guess if the, if challenger decks exist next spring, which is questionable given COVID, um, you know, they are, that is far enough out that they may shift that product mix. Uh, But if they do exist, then we could see fabled passage yet again. I have to wonder if wizards is, scrambling right now to try and figure out what they're going to do with their product for 2020 because all the 2021 stuff was pretty much locked in they you know they're like well you i mean guess... you mean 2021 yeah okay because 2020, 2020 stuff was locked in. yeah 2020 was already locked in they basically had to run with what they had uh but they're in position to change it around for next year and i kind of wonder what that impact is going to look like um i don't envy them 
Like that doesn't seem like something that I'd want to be trying to figure out. Uh, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I suppose I don't really have anywhere I'm going with this. I just wonder what that conversation looks like inside of wizards. All right. So we'll start our paper hot movers. Oh, I, I had a point actually that I, I dropped the ball on. Let me just circle Wait, back to it. The You had a point. <laughs> <laughs> people were complaining about arena because uh, Fabled Passage being reprinted means that given the way the arena economy is structured, uh, it's the same card, but it's a different version because it's in a different set. So you don't get the um, too many copies protection that you get. The way it works currently is if you play a draft a lot of Ikoria, eventually you have all the cards. So then getting yet drafting yet another rare you already own is not exciting because you can only have four copies in your collection. And there's no way to sell them. So you really want extra copies turning into gems or something that you can at least use to fuel your other action on the platform. And so anybody that already has four Fabled Passage from drafting Eld, every Fabled Passage that they draft in draft, which they will because it's a good card to have in draft, is basically useless to them um, until they get four more of them. That is uh, really crummy, to be honest. Like, that is such a beating. <laughs> it's not the kind of thing that bothers me um, because I'm not that emotionally invested in Arena and I'm not financially invested in it at all, nor am I on the grind or anything. Like, And I'm not worried about the price of Arena because if you're drafting at, like, a medium to high level, then you're getting a lot of your cards for free anyway. Um, but if you're kind of, like, new or mediocre, then I can see how it annoys you. Yeah, like it's just it just seems it, like it is it is just a waste. Yeah, like it's just it's it sucks to have to essentially eat that if you don't feel like if you don't want to basically. Yeah, I think part. Is I, think, I think part of your arena experience will certainly depend on whether you're the kind of personality that really needs to min max to feel like you're getting your value. Or whether you're just comfortable dicking around. Because my comfort level with just playing bad decks against good decks certainly contributes to my laissez-faire attitude about Arena. Yeah, I know that makes sense to me. Um, and I feel like I would probably be in roughly the same place. I just, I, I, I would be annoyed on a matter of principle. Um, just because it just feels like I'm getting daggered for no reason whatsoever. And it's, it's essentially meaningless to wizards, but it's just agitating to me. You know, you don't want that. All right. So let's kick off this paper cards on the move, uh, with a hot hitter from one of your past calls, episode 214, we're on 223 today, so this was like nine weeks ago, something like that. Uh, you called Sashiro the Anointed, and I believe this was as pertains to Yidris uh, making snake tokens and wanting to buff those. This is the Champions of Kamigawa legend that gives all snakes plus two plus two and has another ability who, which escapes me. But it's up to about 15 bucks now, and I believe you called it back at, I want to say, 4 or 5 to go to 12. It was 5 to go to 12 back on April 7th. So good on you, sir. Thank you. Uh, 
Nice to be right occasionally. I wonder what is the uh, so what are we talking about? So Shiro, the anointed. Just curious what the actual price looks like at the moment. What is the actual cheapest price you'll pay for Sushiro? It is yeah, 17 bucks right now for English copies. Uh hmm. Darcy will sell you Japanese ones for eight bucks. Even still, seemed like it would have worked out well. Next on the list, we got Cabal Coffers from Plane Chase going from $44 to $70 or so. Copies of this card have been drying up. I think it's a possibility to be included in Commander Legends. So I would probably be looking for an exit on any copies I happen to be holding somewhere in the next few months here. Um, but if this dodges reprints for another year, it's going to be a $100 plus card. Yeah, and if memory serves me, they reprinted this as a uncommon, right? Like somewhere this showed up as an uncommon. Uh, yeah, in Plane Chase, it was an uncommon. And it was an uncommon. Actually, it was an uncommon in Torment, too. It wasn't even rare there, uh, as hard as that is to believe. Yeah, so, so it could be a $100 uncommon. Y- yeah, I mean, God, these are 50 bucks now for... That's nuts. Um, geez. Yeah, that'll be real tasty if that ended up in there. Because, and especially as an uncommon in those foils, too. You mentioned the version that... There's three versions total. One of them is a promo. The non-foil versions are the original from Torment and the Plane Chase version. The Plane Chase uncommon is probably more like a rare or a mythic, given the way that the set was structured. The reality is that there are copies out there in $40, $50, $60 range, but they are drying up and, and supply is getting very challenged. And again, it's one of these cards that during the no-buy-listy period... Um, the odds of someone dropping one off at your local buy list is just lower and lower with every passing day. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, aside from all of the normal factors, no one's just wandering in and buying the stuff anyways. I did... uh, Buying and selling the stuff. Saying that, though, I did execute my first in-person buy list post-COVID today. Oh, yeah? Was Mm -hmm. Where was this... Face to face. Dropped into yeah, face to face Toronto. They had a whole setup where they have plexiglass shielding. They wipe down whatever you pass them and it goes through a little slot like you're at a, a money mart or something. Bank, and yeah. and they had like a full uh face shield helmet on and the whole nine, very safe operation going on. And uh I was just unloading the Thero Stargazer gods, uh all fifteen of them. Uh, for pretty solid profit, I think it was like thirty or forty percent gains, plus all the stained glass planeswalkers, plus the eight bucks or so I got for the arena codes. That's convenient. Um, but uh, yeah, it's nice to know that there there is a buy list operational in town um, for people that need it. That's pretty cool, but definitely strikes me as the type of thing that most people aren't going to have access to. You know? Yeah, I mean it's it's going to depend on. A, is your store still in business? Uh, and B, where are they located and what kind of foot traffic do they get justifying whether or not they're in a in a mood to buy? Yeah. I'm, I have no doubt that you see them plenty in Toronto, but, uh, you know, it's going to be a little different for the guy playing in St. Louis or whatever. Sure. Although St. Louis is a relatively large city, but you get the point. Middle of nowhere, Indiana. Somewhere where Corbin Hostler would live. Yes, exactly. Wherever Corbin is, that store does not have a buy list. I'm curious about that. I'll have to check with Corbin. Vorinclex, <laughs> Voice of Hunger, out of uh, Iconic Masters, going from $25 to $40. Um, 
sell, 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 I think. I almost bought some of these in Japan the other day for 10 bucks, but they were Japanese, and I'm a little worried, more than a little, that this is a prime target to be included in Double Masters because it doubles mana. I mean, as soon as they announced Double Masters, I started selling all of my cards that doubled something. Like, I just, like, I saw the announcement, like, later that day, I walked over to my box and just started flipping through. I'm like, Anointed Processions, you're going. Like, Hard and Scales, you're getting listed. Like, anything that kind of has that aspect to it. And Vorinclex also could end up in that green product because it, he, you know, he's not, he wouldn't be part of the doubling thing, but he would pl- play into the theme basically you know he could be in the green product but i suspect i mean they seem very pleased with themselves about including doubling cards so foreign clex works very well um and i it's i don't think they would feel any pressure to include all five praetors the five mythics from that set um no given some of the other cards we've seen shown off for double masters it really looks like uh, a, a shotgun set it's not modern masters it's not commander masters it's going to be a mix of uh commander pioneer and modern targeting i would guess mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i agree with that i i definitely don't think that they're going to feel compelled to print all five craters at once especially because they didn't do that did, did they do that in ima no uh, don't think so Warren Clex was an IMA. Jin Gataxis was an IMA. Uh, who's the white one? Uh, the Alice one you Norman. have. Yeah, Alice Norman, the one you have all the promos of. She was in. Sheldred was. And Urbrosk. So, okay, so I take that back. They were all in IMA, but I still don't think that they're going to feel compelled to do all of them at once. Yeah, because it needs to have five slots. So they've, they've yeah. done the cute reprint once already within a 10-year period. If they can't, if they doubled back on Vorinclex, he's probably the most important of the five after Elish Norn. Um, so we'll see. But uh, if he dodges the reprint here and dodges it in Commander Legends and dodges it in the green set, then it'll keep going. Like, it could be a 50 or $60 card before it hits a reprint under these circumstances. But for people that are holding from, you know, a set like IMA that was maligned at the time that it was released for not having enough value, there's been plenty of steady two, three-year gainers from that set. And, you know, this is a great example of how a Mythic pull that would have been, you know, 6 to $8 at the time or whatever you could, could out on it here at 30 to 35 And... Do that a few times and your box was pretty much paid for, which is the beauty of magic. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm not giving them that mu- too much leeway because like, yes, it turns out, yes, by now IMA has been pretty good for you, but that doesn't mean that it was good when you bought it, right? Like, okay, your set was good, but it took five years to be good. Well, it, first of all, it wasn't five years. That's... If it takes five years for your set to be good and it takes a bunch of other cards to turn on related cards, then that's one thing. That's incidental appreciation. But I would argue that the IMA cards were maligned because they were uh, undervalued, you know, culturally at the time. 
people weren't giving them enough credit and maybe were judging them based on what else might have been in there instead. And the whole, is this iconic or not argument that, you know, if we're looking at this more from a statistics point of view, the set, you know, seems fine. I'm just looking up the EV here right now, just to get a sense of what we're actually dealing with. Well, you know, I do remember that part of the problem wasn't even just the fact, it wasn't even about the value so much. It was just the identity of the cards. Like people wanted a iconic master sounded like it was going to be something very different than what we got basically. Yep. Uh, so I, I get, so I, I, that we're talking about, I feel like that was the larger issue and like the value just kind of came second to that. It just felt, it was like, these are iconic. This, this is what you consider iconic. People's got way ahead of themselves on though that though. That's for sure. TCG low on a box of iconics at 170 and boxes of iconic were spotted as low as 120 or 130. So if you paid full freight 240 retail, your summer the low is 170, average is 247, market is 207. You might still be below water, but it's definitely not the disaster that some made it out to be. Sure, I'll accept that. Um, all right, so next on the list we've got Alenda the Dusk Rose out of Rivals of Ixalan, going from non foils going from 16 to 28, 12 dollar gain. Um, this is on the back of the newly announced rules, which I thought the timing of the timing of which seemed a little odd, given everything that's going on. But new commander death, uh, new commander rule: death and exile triggers for your commander now work. Um, just going to go ahead and put up my ignorant hand and say I didn't even know that wasn't a thing. <laughs> you, <laughs> and I, I, I wasn't. I wasn't the only person on our Discord who was like, "Oh, I didn't even know that was a rule." I did a double take because I was like, "Wait." Is that how that works? But it's, um, you can choose to let the card, I mean, uh, the death effect I remember was when the card dies, you can put it into the command zone, but you don't get the death trigger, or you can let it go to your graveyard and get the death trigger, but you don't get both. It's, it's never even, it's not even that it's counterintuitive so much as that I just don't think it ever came up in a game where I was paying attention. If, if that if that arose in a game of commander I've been a part of, then the person handled it themselves or cheated, and I didn't notice. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I, I don't really play any commanders that use death trigger, so that could be part of it. Um, well, I I think of it less as like you don't have to use commanders that have that matter as much as it is just it will come up. Like, oh, I have, uh, you know, Blood Artists in play. Right? Like, it, that that will just occur. It, it, it's also it's also a selection bias, right? Because one of the reasons I didn't see it happen is because nobody had a reason to play commanders that were entirely focused on their, their death or exile triggers because they wouldn't work. So that's yeah. certainly part yeah. of it. Yeah, could, yeah, there's part of that as well, is that it, it made those worse. And I don't, I'm not remembering any of this really but like i i believe it essentially so i mean rivals is one of these sets like not quite dragon's maze but close where a lot of the value is tied up in just a very few cards right and because of that the really good mythics in it if they take off as this one looks set to do are very capable of just getting real high yeah it's like one of those uh it's like dragon's maze all over again basically I mean, the, there's only five cards in the set worth more than $10. So 
Zakama, Primal Calamity, Alend of the Dusk Rose, The Immortal Sun, Twilight Prophet, and Wayward Swordtooth. Mm-hmm. And the closest next one is Gelta Primal Hunger at 8.30. Those are uh, not exciting cards. Well, they're exciting in EDH, but there's not... There's no... This is all EDH. Like, there's no competitive staples in this set at all in the top five. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was rough. It was rough. I mean, the Immortal Sun saw some sideboard play against Planeswalkers in its standard day, but anyway, moving right along, they gave us a card that panders ultra hard at dog and cat owners mm. called Rin and Seri, and I think. Uh, Whenever you play cats and dogs, you get more cat and dog tokens. So, of course, everybody ran off to buy every half-decent cat or dog based on Wizards yeah. uh, revealing this card and also telling us that there's a dog theme in Jumpstart, which is a product that shares some cards with uh, Core 21. And uh, they were errating all of the hounds in Magic to be dogs so that this deck could actually be feasible to build. Although... At present, pending how many awesome dogs and cats are in Corset, and there are some, uh, it still remains to be seen whether this is more uh, more than a meme deck. Well, you miss you miss a step. People first when they saw this, they rushed to Twitter to post the Ghostbusters quote of Bill Murray about cats and dogs living together in harmony and it being mayhem. That was step one. Step two was buying the dog and cat cards. I saw so many people make that joke <laughs> or reference that line. I'm just like, yeah, we saw that movie too, buddy. Um, I This is the type of card where in years past, I would have been like, all right, this is great. No one has ever had a reason to buy dog EDH cards before. Let's go. Like I would have hit you know, TCG player and all the great, I would immediately hit Scryfall, found any dog that looked good, went up and bought foils from Prophecy or whatever set it was from, uh, and gone that route. And I, we're going to talk about several other car, you know, uh, yeah, one or two other cards this week that did well because of that. Um, on paper, I'm not positive that the gains will really be realized or if you'll sell through them fast enough. And, you know, there are several of us who, in, in the Discord alone, who, when they had the cat product, uh, like, two or three years ago, went out and snagged a bunch of foil cats uh, and got screwed. And th uh, this has come up. I think it was, was it 2017 Commander deck? Uh, sounds roughly. Ro Roar of the World or something. So yeah, I could roar, yeah, something like that. My where I'm going with this is that this is a type of card that I would have been eager to jump on in the past, but I'm finding that that strategy seem these kind of one trick pony commanders, uh, especially tribal related, seem to do worse than you would expect them to, even for something that you would expect to be a fan favorite like cats. So I didn't go for in on these this time. We're going to talk about two or three cards that did do well because of that. But don't feel bad that you didn't buy in on these if you didn't, because the guy who's trying to sell those things might be finding that he actually did, did not do as well as it looks like he did. Yeah, I mean, all the, all the price pressure you're going to see on these is mostly going to be from speculation. And I think that, you know, if you're going to follow a rule of, you know, reject two thirds of specs or reject 75% of specs or whatever, wherever you want to draw the line. And you should be doing that. Um, 
these are the kinds of ones where, as you said, one trick pony, this specific commander really needs to take off and be beloved. And it might be. The cat commander deck in 2017 didn't turn out quite as expected, but that cat secret layer product in the winter did just fine mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, singles, uh, a boost in the singles prices that were related. So I don't know what's going to happen with this one, but, and I did buy a few copies related to this of things over in Europe that just seemed scandalously low. I think I focused on Rough, which is the mystery booster playtest card um, that was only available in that context. And because there's no events for the rest of the year, that card sold out instantly on the reveal uh, of this commander. And I'll roll those dice with a shallow swath of inventory and see how it goes. Yeah, shooting at a couple cards in small quantities is fine um, because it's unlikely you're really going to lose money. The issue is just going to be, oh, I didn't get what I thought I was going to get out of it, right? Like it just ends up being much slower and less of a profit than you expected. And if you're like, and sometimes your your specs will basically not move or they'll move like a dollar and then you're just kind of looking at them. And you have uh, 70 foil cat cards on your desk for four years. Not that I know what that's like. All right, uh, so next on the list, we've got uh, Kokusho. Oh, sorry, it was Fleetfoot Panthers that we were leading into there. The plane shift foil, that's the one that uh, can gate itself back to your hand if you don't bounce something else. So you can just, for three mana, keep bouncing it up and down, bouncing it up and down, and get all the token triggers off Ren and Siri. Um, Kokushu, the evening star out of uh, Champions of Kamangawa. Uh, sorry, yeah. Uh, Champions? Yeah. That's what CHK is, yeah. Yeah, 15 to 28, $13 gain, almost 87%. uh, On the back of the new Commander Death Exile trigger rules, because that means that you can be getting that five-point life drain for the whole table uh, over and over again as your Black Dragon moves in and out of the command zone. Containment Priest was revealed as included in Core 21, and that's interesting because it was the f- it's the first time it has been legal in Standard, Pioneer, and Modern. Um, so, of course, the Masterpiece Invocation versions jumped from 23 to 45 for nearly a double up. Um, despite the fact that it's getting a Showcase version, I believe, not Extended Art, I think it's Showcase, in Core 21... Uh, this version is probably going to float reasonably high. Uh, between Commander and those three formats now, this is a multi-format. Even if it's a sideboard staple, it's still, still stable. Yeah, this card is real solid and will end up doing work as well in in Modern, most likely. Um, has all sorts of fun play effects with it. Uh, so... Uh, an exciting reprint here for people who want access to the card in modern both functionality and wise and people who want a cool looking version it was flagged in our discord early on that uh after somebody spotted on twitter that its interaction with the white eldrazi um that blinks things in and out is pretty nasty because it basically they basically just blink out and never come back yep that is uh that is exactly the type of stuff that you can see a new version of modern decks and taxes playing because that is going to be like why would you not want to do that Mm -hmm. yeah right like that seems very much like the type of work you want to do and in fact i think legacy death and taxes plays 
uh, whatchamacallit, anyways, con- the containment priest. So I would expect that to be where this goes. Blood Chief Ascension foils at a Zendikar. Happy to see these go 20 to 40. Pretty sure I picked up a pile of these around 14 May of last year. Um, this is on the back of Vito Thorn of the Dusk Rose being revealed for Core 21. Uh, and that card reads that it's a 1-3 for 2 and a black. Legendary creature vampire cleric. Whenever you gain life, target opponent loses that much life. So pretty much all the black cards that drain based on gaining life or losing life um, work very, very well together. They have like compounding synergies. Uh, this also has a bonus ability of giving all your creatures lifelink until end of turn for five if you want to. But it's mostly about this the the overlapping drain effects that will make black decks that focus on that stuff better and better over time. Yeah. I stopped and looked at this guy tonight because I'm like, this... I was looking for new commanders that might draw some attention out of 21. And he did catch my eye, but I got thinking about it. I'm like, "Eh, what are the odds that you're going to play this as a commander rather than just putting him in your Alora deck? Um, Or, you know, whichever deck you're playing that, you know, focuses on life gain. So I I don't think that he's actually going to drive too many sales himself. All I know is that if the bricks on this get real cheap, I will pick up 100 copies. Because the effect is the kind of thing that sells. Oh, yeah. No question about that. But it won't be... It'll be people buying that card to put in their other decks, not people building decks based on him. And right now, I'm only interested in the... uh, I don't remember which version, which order I said that in. I'm only interested in, in... I would only be interested in him today as leading his own commander decks, which I don't think will happen. Okay. Uh... Hungry Lynx was one of the cat cards that took off out of Commander 2017. Went from $2 to $5. This is the kind of thing where you got a single copy. It went from 2 to 5 You may have trouble outing the card. You may yeah. have trouble finding buy list support for the card. But buy lists are strained, so maybe not. Uh, if you happen to have some of these cat and dog cards lying around and they're worth keeping tabs on, then maybe you want to do that. Just keep a tab open in your browser or what have you. Golden Wish Foils that we uh, flagged going up to 20 bucks last week went even further, which just means the last few copies sold, in theory, going from 20 to 50 for 160% gains. But again, I think that's just a couple of copies being cleaned up. King of the Pride out of Modern Horizons Foils going from $1.50 to $5. Very similar kind of thing to Hungry Lynx. Uh, Modern Horizons Foils are actually relatively scarce because they did not use an increased foil drop rate. Uh, this is a Ren and Siri thing. I think this gives other cats plus two plus one or something. Sure. <laughs> Sounds close enough. Which is an auto include in the deck, but it's unclear whether you know how many people are building it and whether they're building it with foils. Uh, Grafted Skullcap, 7th edition foils going from 15 to 60. Probably Riel driving this, the discard sensitive commander that is relatively popular right now. And the fact that it's a 7th edition foil never hurts. I, I, yeah, I would give that more to 7th edition foil than Riel really needing it. Does she even play it? Uh, next on the list, while you're checking on that, Roalesque Apex Hybrid out of War. Foil's going from 3 to 13. Also about the commander trigger rules being changed. 
Unclear whether Roalesk is a powerhouse commander now that he gets the double proliferate trigger, or if he's still more of a 99 guy. Um, I certainly run it in Attracts the Planeswalkers um, and had never really thought about building it on its own. Uh, I'm curious how many people, whether this will start to show up in, you know, top 10 commanders on EDH rec over the, the next week or two weeks. I would be very surprised to see this card, see any success at that level. You know, when he comes into play, he puts a few, he puts two one-one counters on one creature, like whatever, that's not that impressive. Um, you know, his own ability to kill people is not, inter- you know, you're not interested in. And the only time you really get something interesting out of him is when he dies, which is to proliferate twice. But that means you essentially have to be bouncing him or or killing him and reanimating him to, to really abuse him. But that's kind of annoying if he's your commander. Like you're better off just playing Atraxa, who proliferates a bunch anyways. And shoving him in there. So this seems to me like a stretch. Like people are like, oh, he's going to be great now. And it's like, yeah, except for the fact that no one's actually going to want to play him as a commander. It's still a solid 99 card where the foils were going to get there over time. But I would expect this to backfill a bit and then continue on. You know, these could slide um, or not. I mean, the buy, the whole buy list thing does does call backslides into question because... The, the copies have to appear in the market for that to take place. And the combination of weird buy listing scenarios plus summertime could easily put a damper and uphold some price plateaus that might have otherwise collapsed in different circumstances. Well, there's no doubt that uh, he's useful in your deck as a as just a card, like you said, rather than a commander. Um, and the buy list thing certainly has an impact as well. I'm just thinking strictly from the sense of would he is he a significantly better commander today than he was, you know, a week ago? And the answer is no, probably not. Well, sort of. He he the the double proliferate trigger is now in play. So as a commander, he's much more viable. Now, is that an interesting commander to play? I don't know. Like I I don't know if it's going to capture anybody's attention. Like yes, attracts or proliferates every turn, um, but she doesn't pro- proliferate twice. So if you're looking to abuse that in some specific way and you want to do a bunch of rapid proliferation by getting him in the graveyard and getting him back out again or something, that's a different story. Anyway, the bottom line is the past week on EDH Wreck, it's nowhere to be found in the top 10. It's Gavi, Nestwarren, Golos, Zagzara, Kalamax, Moldratha, Atraxa, Kenrith, Korvold, Nethroy, and Alela um, with Roalesque nowhere to be found. So keep that in mind. Um, Child of Alaras also took off because of the death trigger thing, um, because if you run Child of Alara as your five color commander, uh, which I suppose I will have to build for my daughter Alara at some point, um, when it's put into the graveyard from play, you destroy all non-land permanents and they can't be regenerated. So now you've got a commander that can wipe the board whenever it dies, which is pretty tasty when you get to access all five colors to abuse it. That is a cool card. That is that is a fun change because now that kind of does something more interesting. It's still just a wrath of God, but at least it's kind of a fun way to do it. Well, it's destroy all non-land permanents. It's not just a wrath. So sure, it's, sure. It, it, it's actually the, the real question with Child of Lara is: Is this even a fun commander? People already complain about people that reset the board too much, and this entire deck will be built around doing that. Yeah, I, I guess I don't really think of that as being unfun in the sense that like it's not interesting to play against, mostly because I think there's tons of stuff that 
is unfun and not interesting to play against and people do it anyways. So I don't see that as being a disqualifying feature. All right. Um, we'll see how this, this price holds up. Be worth checking back in on it in a few weeks once people have gotten their spec copies in hand and have tested the market looking to out them. I'm curious what the, you know, the biggest running buy list Card Kingdom is offering currently. Uh, 650 on the Conflex versions and 728 on the FTVs. So people that get their cards fast enough in hand will get close to a double up here. Wow. Not bad. That's pretty nice. Uh, Rites of Initiation, Odyssey Foils. This is a one-mana red spell, if I recall correctly, that gives plus one, plus zero to... Plus one, plus zero to all of your creatures equal to the number of cards you discard. Um, and is probably going off, somebody mentioned in our Discord, based on Riel as well. Um, because that's the kind of shenanigans a Riel deck might be trying to get up to. Hmm. Sure. Good luck with that. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if someone's going to buy your Rights of Initiation foil for $25, but, you know, do, do as you will. Um... Filigree Sages is in theory the biggest gainer of the week. Foils going from $1.50 to $20 on the back of the infinite combo with Chromatic Orrery. Um, again, not an interaction that it's... It's not clear to me that Chromatic Orrery is going to be that big a deal in Commander. Um, you don't think Chromatic Orrery is going to be good? It's a 7 mana card. That gives you 5 back when it comes into play. Sure. I mean... It seems good. Is it amazing? I don't know. Uh, I, I I'm <laughs> so I guess we're skipping ahead to our other segment, but I am very high on this card. I'm not saying you should buy it right now because I mean everyone's gonna be high on it, but that card is legit because you're going to. I mean, if you look at the top cards in EDH, there's a lot of ramp. I mean, ramp is very big. It's very powerful. People know that. Uh, you know and. Yes, it's seven, but it gives you five back right away, and it's f- essentially five mana of any color, like and, five. And it's also a chromatic lantern on top of that. Yeah, like it, it's. It, 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 in fact, you can have, it, it in the more colors your deck has, that it gets even better because it's easy to end up stuck on colors. But you have enough mana, but not the right colors, and now you're okay losing two mana the turn you play this because it fixes the colors you need type of thing. Um, yeah, I think this card is going to be very popular. Plus, it just reads really well, which is what's going to matter for selling a zillion copies. It does have a great henge kind of feel to it. It is a core set mythic in a period where released during the summer of COVID. Um, so it has all that going for it. It's also the kind of thing that can slot into a lot of different decks. Because it gets better and better the more colors you're playing, but at three colors plus, it starts becoming a consideration depending on what else your deck is trying to do and whether a seven mana artifact fits into your game plan. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I, it wasn't on my radar as something that I was going to be targeting heavily, but the more I'm talking about it, the more I can see the case for looking for it to be cheap, especially in Europe. Uh, at this point, this is the card I think I'm most interested in out of Commander 21 or Core 21. One of the things that's interesting that is worth flagging about it is that it is neither a showcase nor a borderless nor a anything else that shows up in 
the regular boxes in terms of its special treatment. The only special treatment this one should get will be its extended art. So we could look at the modeling for the Great Hange for this one and make comparisons and take a look at what we spent on Great Hange foil and non-foil extended arts and probably get a pretty good sense of where this might head. And even if you give yourself an extra six months to get there, you're probably still doing okay, given all of the... At a rare, I would probably leave it alone for a long time. But as a mythic, maybe. Yeah, I mean, you even in worst case scenario, you play if you don't really need the mana right now, you play it at seven, and then immediately use the mana that it produced to draw cards. Like in a mono color deck, you paid seven to draw a card. But even in if your deck is three colors, you play it for seven and draw three, and now you have the rock and play. Like that's also well, you you can't solid. use the five to draw off the five because they're both tap abilities, unless you've got some untapped. Oh yes. Chance. Now keep in mind that. You know, you may well have a way to untap it. I mean, that's the whole thing with filigree sages, right? Is that you're using three of the mana to untap the orrery and going going off. You basically just go infinite immediately. Uh, you're right. I I, I said that incorrectly. Uh, so forget what I said. Okay. I don't know what I'm talking about. We'll, we'll dive in on this a little deeper as uh, we get a little more familiar with the card. Uh, so that was the top paper movers of the week. Um, and there was probably at least 100 or 150 cards that moved more than 30% this week that I left off this list because we you know, limits of time and so forth. So plenty of action. But the common theme throughout is almost exclusively this is commander cards now. Yeah, believe it or not, we do have a limit of time on this cast. <laughs> I'm sure some people would find that to strain credulity. Um, <laughs> Gabby, I didn't next... say what we measure it with. <laughs> So a quick run through of some top movers on Magic Online. Um, Gavi Ness Warden um, acting as a stand in here for a, pretty much all of the Commander uh, 2020 uh, Ikoria related commanders, going from 15 to 21, 44 percent gains. All they didn't release the Commander decks on Magic Online, as we said last week. They released them through Treasure Chests, and they have been pumping hard. The next time they do this, I'm going to be looking to get in early <laughs> because there there was a moment to get in on these that was very tasty indeed on a very short time cycle and if i'm i'm gonna just take a look at this graph for gavi wonder if there was a dip before it was a climb no it pretty much started under 10 started around seven dollars and today sells for 21 and the buy list will give you 17.50 so you could be a 10 ticks a copy and this came and this came out on may 28th so that was less than two weeks ago 10 ticks a copy for basically no effort is some good stuff yeah more than more than 100 gains to get in on these commanders early now i don't know if that would survive in a post-covid era like i i don't know if commander would swing heavily back towards paper and you'd see a drop off on magic online or if perhaps people that get used to that never played commander online before may just get used to it and will continue playing that way they may develop new friend groups and play groups that they want to continue playing with in in that manner um it's entirely possible yeah i could see that that's uh that people might be hooked so to say Thought Not Seer out of uh, Oath of the Gatewatch, going from eight tickets to about twelve and a half, four dollar gains, fifty two percent. Eldrazi Tron continues to be a force in modern, and this card has not seen a reprint since its original. 
Grim Tutor, of course, was confirmed included in the core set. That was one of the other rumored cards that was bouncing around for quite some time, and people were bad, not sure if they thought they believed they would print something so expensive, but there was some precedent um, as uh, in the form of Imperial Recruiter, for instance, cards that they had never reprinted that were over $100 and got knocked down by the process. This one's a little different because Recruiter was printed in, what, Eternal Masters, or... Where did, we, where did we get? Where did we get an Imperial Recruiter? Was it the white one or the red one? Red one. Red one was. I asked a question like it mattered. I don't remember. Let me just double check. Imperial Recruiter oh. was in Judge Promo, right? Yeah, that there was a Judge Promo, but it was in Masters Twenty Five. So in Masters Twenty Five, uh, copies got pretty low and are now back up over forty. Uh, the Portal Three Kingdoms version is sitting at about 110, and the Judge promo is just under 50. And there's the supply is not super shallow on any of them. I think there's 30 to 45 listings on all versions. So Grim Tutor has to come way down from where it was sitting, which was basically no cart, no copies in stock, and about 300. dollars The question is where? You know, Seth over at uh, Goldfish was. Uh, prophesizing on Twitter today that it could get as low as five bucks. But I honestly have no idea. I don't know if this is a five dollar card, a ten dollar card, fifteen, twenty. Playability of it seems no better than Wishclaw Talisman, probably. But I, I don't know. I, 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 I'm not gonna. I, I'll tell you this much. I'm gonna try to spot the low on it. <laughs> And and I really and the art on the showcase version is very sexy. So if I'm buying any of it, it will probably be that one. We were talking about this, uh, some buddies and I. I don't think that it's really any all that good anywhere. Like, and I I made exactly that point. Like, in what format do you want to cast this? That Wishclaw Talisman isn't probably better. Certainly not often enough i think is the important thing one of the things that will probably hold it back as a spec is that it is a showcase and not an collector booster exclusive extended art um showcases are the cards that appear in regular boosters and for core 21 they've made it extra confusing by having them look more or less the same as extended arts like you have to you have to clock the fact that it is different art than the regular version in the pack in the regular booster packs, but the art has not been extended. It is actually uh, fitting uh, to the edges, but the casual observer is not going to clock that right away. So <laughs> anyway, we'll get to the confusions of core 21 in a bit here. Uh, Soren Imperious Bloodlord on Magic Online from M20 going from four and a half or so to seven and a half, 70% plus gains. Pioneer Vampires is back on the menu with the shakeup uh, related to the companions. Cinder Vines out of uh, Ravnica Allegiance going from two to almost five for about 150% gains. Big Card and Jun Sacrifice and Gruel, which are you know a big portion of the standard meta now post companions. Containment Priest Masterpiece Invocation also moved on Magic Online, and this is something we've seen a, uh, a bunch lately, is that premium versions of uh, newly important cards on Magic Online have done pretty well. 
uh, in that environment um, because they often have relatively limited distribution uh, mechanics. So this one went from, it was only $2 on Magic Online, but it went to five fifty. so that's 166% gains on the news, and I wish I had thought of that when they announced it. <laughs> I will certainly be on the ball next time they do something like that. Rip. Mm-hmm. All right, so moving on to our cards to watch. Uh, I've got a bit of a weird bag of cards this week. Um, starting with Mirrored Lotus. This is a card that is out of the Mystery Booster test cards, all of which are an extremely short supply and unlikely to see much relief from that because two major factors are in play that prevent more copies from hitting the market. The first is Wizards said that the mystery booster boxes that were Magic Fest exclusives could only be distributed on site at those events, and those events are canceled well into 2021. So there's no way for them to distribute whatever boxes are left sitting around at Channel Fireball events. Uh, CFB may well strike a bargain with Wizards at some point to get some of those out the door. I can see that happening. Um, certainly not tremendously different than them selling gift boxes full of the magic fest promos that everybody was buying over the last couple months um but in the meantime the test cards have drained to basically nothing um but you can still get copies of mirrored lotus sitting around some places at you know you're not talking about going deep here you're going to be lucky if you can get one two three copies if you need them as a collector oh there's zero reason to hold back you should just be going to find the copies you need because who knows where else you're going to find them down the road um get in around 25 get off the the train at about 40 and you're probably doing just fine and i would imagine you'll get out within three to six months if not sooner assuming you can get your hands on some to begin with oh i can get behind this um Based only on the fact that clearly there's a solid demand there. I, I, these All these cards have been more popular than I anticipated at the outset. I thought they were going to be kind of uncards, which are generally less, not particularly interesting or valuable. But people took to these, um, which is obvious from the price and availability of Mirrored Lotus right now. Well, I mean... the Go ahead. Uh, the fact that there aren't any more gps at which to distribute these packs is also a big deal um i you know it is one of those things where wizards is like these are only available at you know the gps you know that, that's where you have to get them and this is exactly the type of event that would change that right like i totally expect that they will be singing a different tune um when they realize these are all stuck and channel fireballs complaining about it but even still it's going to severely limit the accessibility of them because you know, how many people are out there are going to buy boxes of the mystery GP mystery booster from channel fireball online, because the fun of it is drafting it anyways. Right. And you can't draft it because you can't see your friends. So it seems like even if they wizards just wholesale, let's channel fireball, sell them online that a lot of it won't move. There's also the complication that those boxes are going for a few hundred dollars plus right now. Um, so for CFB to, say, put up a sale at 199 even would be bad optics from the perspective of it being an expensive box relative to the other version, which can be had closer to 125 or 150 And keep in mind, all of the 
regular mystery booster boxes that were being gifted to the vent, the LGS network are landing like this week. So there is arguably already mystery booster supply in the market that is, you know, running head first into dubious player demand. Uh, I mean, there certainly are players that want mystery booster boxes um, for personal and or speculatory purposes, but can you also layer on top of that the other version at a higher price? Could be tricky. So I won't be surprised to see it show up in the last six months of the year, but I'm not counting on it. And in the meantime, I, I don't think there's I don't think players to your earlier point necessarily took to these cards or anything. Like I don't think there's a bunch of like unseen demand unforeseen demand for them. I just think that the supply was always very choked. I think a lot of them got absorbed into collections without ever hitting the buy list floor. And now that there's no Magic Fest and no buy list, I just think we're in a very supply side version of the equation. Um, so anyway, it's not something anybody's going to be able to go real deep on, but, and it's not even the only card. I think you can actually use the Mirrored Lotus as a placeholder for just taking a harder look at the rarest cards from the test cards and, you know, insert whichever one you want to go after, whether it's Sliv Mizzet or whatever. Um, a lot of them, some of the other ones are already very, very expensive and therefore less attractive. Rough was a really good option three days ago, but is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, um, yeah, I think in general, these are probably all a reasonable target. Mirrored Lotus is just one of many. All right, what's your first pick? Well, uh, you know... As we kind of mentioned earlier, I think Core 21 has some interesting cards that have a possibility of having an actual impact in Pioneer and Modern. Um, they could they could do some fun stuff that have synergies with existing cards that might be worth looking at. But where is anyone going to play them? Um, I have a real concern right now with just the idea of owning, of buying competitive paper cards with the intent of specking on them based on their performance in Pioneer or Modern or what have you. And it's not to say that that will inevitably be a complete wash, but I do think that it is taking on unnecessary risk at the moment. Um, And with the way that the buy lists are so hamstrung, it makes casual cards and EDH cards look even better. So I guess... You know, I feel like I've given this speech in various flavors a few times now, but I'm looking at some of these cards and I'm like, oh, this would be really cool with this and this. Like that one uh, blue creature is great with monomorphos. Like those types of synergies give you some opportunities, or at least they would in a normal world. So, um, you know, my picks may seem less interesting or exciting based on the spoilers, but they're just like, I I don't want to get involved with, you know, modern pioneer cards if no one's going to play that anytime soon. That said, uh, I'm kicking off the week with Chaos Warp uh, out of the Commander's Arsenal. This is the only foil printing of Chaos Warp. You can grab them for just under 20 bucks right now. Um, it is the number one card, number one red card on like basically every metric, like the most decks, um, the most built, the most used this week, the most used this month, all that type of good stuff. Um, like I said, the only foil. There's currently nine vendors on TCG Player with foil chaos warps uh, with 10 copies between them. Uh, There's no way to resupply these because of, again, the lack of 
buy list at GPs. The one thing that I would be worried about here possibly is Commander Legends, uh, which Commander Masters, whatever it's called. That is a um, for sure a serious, not serious, but a um, a possible concern. And that's going to be the case with pretty much any. Most EDH specs are going to run into that unless they're very, very new. But, you know, I, at this point, I feel like I'm, I'm more interested in being concerned about Commander Legends than I am about knowing the fact that no one's playing Paper Pioneer for the next six months. So in any case, Chaos Warp seems pretty well positioned. The foils at 20 bucks to go to 35 40 maybe even $50. Um, and given my personal sales have all been EDH and all been premium stuff, uh, I'm, I'm reasonably confident this has got a good future ahead of it. The one problem here is Commander Legends. You want to be yeah out before that lands because it's a prime target there. Because yep. uh, they've printed it ten times, but only once in foil. So yeah, uh, in and out in six months, and you'll be gold. Yeah, when it, Commander Legends is what? Isn't that like November or something? November. November. So like pre-Christmas product. Yeah. All right. So the, the, the I was looking at sealed product of all things this week and one of the things that uh, drew my attention is that this might be the last hurrah for relatively cheap war booster boxes um there's a restock of japanese war that's floating through europe at least and it might be north america as well as wizards you know they they definitely went back to the presses for that end of last summer and seems like there's still some floating around in the network if i have my druthers and i can get access to japanese boxes closer to you know anything under 120 i probably prefer those over english just because you have a uh 18 slots of anime planeswalkers to open and one of them is probably going to be a pretty solid foil worth 20 30 40 50 60 plus dollars um but war is a really really deep set in edh like 20 30 40 important cards for the format and if you believe that Commander is the thread by which the Magic community is holding on to the game right now, then every reason to believe that War Boxes will continue to get bought up and opened. It's got kind of a Kaladesh-style feel to it, um, a whole bunch of Commander staples. And if you get the Japanese boxes, there's some upside, um, like the Masterpieces, which is admittedly absent in the English boxes, but there's still a just a ton of good staples in the English boxes. And one of a lot of the stuff is, you know, your Dovin vetoes and your casualties of war and so forth, like uncommons and rares that might be harder to unload in Japanese, but you'll probably get full buy list value for a little further down the road um, when they've had a chance to fully mature. Uh, 90 bucks to go say 140 in two years does not seem crazy to me. Yeah, this seems like a good a good shot here. Uh, I mean, War of the Spark is just so packed at the moment. Um, there's so much good stuff in there. Like you said, even the Uncommons, very rich vein there. Uh, you know, you've got Narset, you've got Teferi. I mean, if Teferi's not banned, he's going to be a huge deal, you know, over time. And 90 bucks for the booster boxes, yeah. I think this is a, a real solid way if you're you know, not exactly sure what to buy, and you don't want to deal with small stuff. Uh, these look these look very solid. You're talking Dovin's veto, D Spark, Time 
Time Wipe, Ashiok, Dream Render, Narciss Reversal, Narciss Parter of Veils, Bolus of Citadel, Sahili Sublime Artificer, Death Sprout, Jace Wielder of Mysteries, Finale of Devastation, Cruel Celebrant, Casualties of War, Teferi Time Raveler, Nicol Bolas, Dragon God, Spark Double, Ral, Evolution Sage, Domri, Johnny, Liliana, Dreadhorde General, Vivian, Tamio, Nissa, etc., 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 Karns Bastion, Niv Mizzet Reborn, Paradise Druid. Like, I'm actually wrong. It's closer to 50 cards in the set with more than 3,000 listings on EDH Rec. It's a really, really deep set. Um, so, should this be a priority if you're trying to min-max your returns on investment? No, because it's sealed product and you're going to hold it for two years and you could have flipped 14 times in other deals um, instead. So, if that's your scene, this is not for you. But if you're a collector or a player and you're wondering if you want to stash this away and maybe pop it in a couple of years, this is this is your jam. Yes. At the very least, it's a if you like to draft old sets, hop on this now because it's unlikely it'll be this cheap. I mean, really, that's a, a rule of thumb with all sealed product, but it's not going to be this cheap again anytime soon. All right. What's your next Ever. Bit? Ever. Uh... Yeah, so keeping in my looking for EDH stuff that's in a good position and should be should be at, uh, hopping in price pretty soon here, um, I turned my attention to Seedborn Muse, which has uh, not quite as popular as Chaos Warp. It's in like 25,000 EDH rec decks compared to Chaos Warp's 28,000. Uh, another top green card, very highly played, um, both you know recently and overall. It's like a top twelve or something like that at all time green card. Um, the battle bond foils are currently twenty five bucks. Every other foil, which is legions, eighth edition, ninth edition, all start at thirty five. Um, and there's basically no copies available of those. I think legions is also like eighty dollars. I don't remember something silly. Um, so even the worst of them is like 35 with three copies left. Uh, also another card that, you know, like everything else, there's no, no means of resupply. Um, so basically the, the battle bond foils look like they're very well positioned based on this being a, a premium EDH staple. That's not going to get any less interesting. It's been legal forever. They're not going to ban it. Um, now again, like chaos warp that you have the risk of reprint here. Uh, and this kind of, you're looking at it in, in two cases, because not only could we see it show up in Commander Legends in November, you also have the green product, Commander product, later in a couple of months. July, month or two. I think. July, yeah, next month. So there's that, very much that concern as well. Um, so I'm, I would probably be inclined to not buy it today, but I would expect to see spoilers for Commander Legends uh, sorry, not Commander Legends, whatever that green product is called, very shortly, um, and then make your decision at that time, most likely. Yeah, and, and if you're late to the party and they've already gone to 40 or 50, then you just, you're just too late, you move on. The, yeah, I and, mean... It, and, and then you consider, you know, whether you want to buy up, you know, your, your, your spec in that case probably just switches to the new copies, because part of it will depend on the foiling that they use if it's really atrocious and curls like crazy then people will be less inclined to be chasing them um that could be tempered with really great art so you need to see a is it in the set b what are the foils like and and see what's the art like 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, that's, those are all fair questions. Um, but you know, and the, the core idea of even if it's in the new set, uh, it might be worth going after those anyways, you know, you just change who you're shooting at, but you know, if it's, if it's a weird foil with, you know, art, that's not great. Uh, these IMA copies could still be in great shape. Yep. That's true. Um, looks like you got two more for us, huh? These are, I'm not 100% on these. These are kind of wonky. Only because I don't know how much supply is, latent supply is sitting out there waiting to flood the market at some point in the next six to nine months. I'm speaking about judge promos. People may remember or may have forgotten that the judge program was basically dismantled by wizards and is now being run by a third party operator. And the judges sign up with this third party, and I believe they pay some fees, and then they still attend like judge conferences and stuff, and they're out there judging and still have access to cards. And I think that under the new program, they actually have that, like, in theory, there should be more copies of the judge promos flying around, but I'm going to have to double back, and maybe we need to get an article together to really fully explore this issue. Bottom line is this. Enlightened Tutor Judge Foils are out there in Europe at about 40 to 45 dollars and are selling in North America right now at about 80 bucks plus. Um, really good arbitrage opportunity and demonic tutor the judge tw- uh, promo number 20 version that's the one with the little girl can be had overseas in the 70 80 dollar range and you can get off you can in theory, find just like two listings or something on tcg right now at 130 plus now i think the enlightened tutor one was in theory released in february and the demonic tutor was from april so i would think that there is inventory just missing from the market and if that inventory was to i'm trying to figure out where how when where it will appear through which mechanisms like whether at a certain point regional coordinators or whatever their current equivalent are will just start sending these out to judges randomly as a covid support system or something i have no idea so we're trying to track that info down but i would start at least tracking the prices of these things and looking at the arbitrage opportunity because the demonic tutors were i think back at the start of may you could get copies closer to 50 euro and already they're closer to 70 and above and the enlightened tutors have gone from like 30 euro up to more like 45. So whatever supply has made it into the market has been chomped. And almost certainly most of that was arbitrage based because both of the cards in question, enlightened tutor and demonic tutor are primarily commander cards that are not a big deal in Europe. So, you know, buy lists are probably store people, stores uh, that need inventory are certainly going to get creative and will be doing more arbitrage as necessary and this is uh, an opportunity for players to get in the, on the action as well. And it's not just these two. I would be looking at all of the judge promos for the rest of the year and trying to figure out the dynamics because you also have Birthing Pod that's been announced recently, uh, Sylvan Tudor, and Eye of Ugin. Um, and I hate the owl, the super prominent owl. You know, like there's a Seb McKinnon Sterling Grove here that would look a lot better if that owl wasn't distracting. <laughs> but all of this stuff is is worth a look because this is in 
in a similar fashion for different reasons than the well actually i guess it's kind of all the same reason there's no events so there's no judging and there's no magic uh, magic fast mystery booster boxes being opened so they're all kind of part of the same ball game of lack of access to the normal supply distribution point and no reason to be sending judges promos to the best of my knowledge and i'm still following up on it um so I, I will probably dip my toe in the water on these at current pricing in Europe and then wait to see if it backfills and gets even cheaper at some point down the road. This is, I mean, these are great cards. I mean, the, the tutors, Enlightened Tutor especially, just because it's cheaper, but um, Demonic Tutor is insanely popular. Enlightened Tutor, one of the most popular white cards. Uh, and these are both tempting price points. I'm honestly, that Demonic Tutor could be... I mean, you got 110, but I could see that thing at 150 or even 200 dollars, possibly, um, you know, at some point in the future. So I think they're good, good price points. Obviously, um, my concern is the same as yours: is what does the supply and availability look like? That's a an, a real question to be asking here, um, and I find that to be a little annoying to keep track of with judge promos because even if you're trying to figure out what's going on with them. You know, there's no guarantee you're going to know. Well, before, uh, so uh, up until this new whole new organization was founded, we had our, our finger on the pulse. Like promos were available for yeah. basically two quarters and then they disappeared. And sometimes some extra copies would float back into the market that had not been previously distributed when they should have been or during the normal period. But for the most part, you would see kind of two waves. And we saw that when you went in early on Elish Norns and later there, there was some more that appeared from future judge conferences. So at, by the end of that era, we had it more or less dialed, but now we're in a whole different ballgame. And then that plus COVID, you know, I've reached out to the judges, judges in our membership to ask them what's going on. And maybe we'll try to update everybody next week once we have a better, better handle on things. Um, I'll tell you this much, though. Judge promos have been extremely reliable specs over the last three or four years. Putting, putting your... Uh, hard case Elish Norn at uh, peak pricing problem aside, all of the judge promos that were sourced in Europe over the last three or four years for me that were at a lower price point, stuff like Ristic Studies, Vampiric Tutor, the other Vampiric Tutor, um, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. If it's a mainstream EDH staple, it'll the judge promo will end up being pretty cheap in Europe right out the gate, and you can reliably grab that stuff and expect to unload it about a year to two years later and be in real good shape. Uh, I've sold over a thousand dollars worth of judge promos this week alone um, that just fit that profile perfectly of what's actually selling right now. Um, you know, so I think the vampire the vampire pirate judge promo of vampiric tutor was as cheap as $45 in Europe at one point. And I'm selling those at like 110, 120 now. And I think, I think you can still get copies of that in Europe closer to like 60 or 65. It's not even like the opportunity is, has closed the window of opportunity has closed on that one. Still there. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know if we had, I always felt like judge promos were, fairly stable but there was just enough of a deviation in how they were supplied that they could get you with it sometimes because you'd be like oh well this already had its two printings so you know it's good and then they'd be like oh guess what this one we released in a couple extra packs and it was just like what the hell um but yeah the judge promos are have been great um the other one that jumps out at me i bought 
has worked it well. The other one that jumps out at me is Food Chain. End of 2018, picked them up at like $47, and I've been selling them over 100 mm. Easy breezy. Teferi's That's Protection. Nice. You were talking about Commander Sphere last week. Uh, yeah, there was... A lot of um, good stuff. Yeah, those Rhystic Studies, I remember, were especially tasty looking. All right, so that's the the end of my paper crest watch. Um, I guess we can switch on over into segment four. Been a while. I mean, it's just time's being dilated at this point, but <laughs> yeah, that's basically what it is. Hasn't been that long actually since we talked about Ikoria, but it feels like it. Um, core twenty one uh, looks very complex for a core set. I think that the the days of core sets as onboarding engines uh, seem to be dead and gone. Um, or maybe they just uh, believe that onboarding is easier in an arena-based digital environment where people have more time to stare at the cards uh, at their own pace. Um, bottom line, lots of interesting cards in this set, wouldn't you say? There's a lot going on here that I don't really understand. Uh, primarily, they really want us to play ramp, which, like, they put... Um, Azusa, which is the uh, the three mana chick that lets you put two lands in the play a turn, uh, modern staple, major part of the amulet deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put that in. Uh, they was it? Did, did it get banned? Azusa? No, Azusa wasn't banned. Hmm. Okay, keep going. Um, sorry. Yeah, they put Azusa in the set. They put Cultivate in the set. They put Solemn Simulacrum in the set, and then they put Ugin in the set who's just a ridiculous payoff uh, for ramp strategies because he you cast him at uh, was it seven or eight and just exile everything on the board, essentially, um, because he exiles all colored permanents, which means you just get to eat everything. Uh, and like that, so not only have they put in some of the best ramp enablers in a while, they also gave us this absurd payoff. Uh, and I'm just kind of like wondering what the the plan is here. Like, what what is the... What are you trying to cultivate? <laughs> As it were. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that obviously seems like to be... That wasn't even on purpose. <laughs> that, that obviously does seem to be part of the setup. Um, it was Summer Bloom that I was thinking of that got banned in Modern as part of the Amulet deck, uh, not Azusa. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of complexity in the set. There are some very impressive reprints in Ugin and Azusa. Um, the Planeswalkers... I tend to reserve judgment on at this point because people have gotten them so wrong so often in the last few years. You have to assume that Teferi Master of Time is going to be pretty nasty. This is two double blue. You may activate loyalty abilities of Teferi Master of Time on any player's turn anytime you could cast an instant. So very notably here, you get to use his abilities on your turn and their turn. And in Commander on everybody's turn Mm -hmm. so this probably designates him as a bit of a super staple Uh, i could see it being standard pioneer and a bunch of commander play at minimum and slots i sure people are still building atraxa atraxa is getting reprinted in double master so no reason to believe atraxa will fall off the radar as a popular commander the most popular commander of all time um and Teferi getting to go plus one draw a card, then discard a card on each turn in a four-player pod is a ridiculous amount of filtering. 
And then it's somewhere oh, yeah. along the way there, if somebody tries to attack into him, you get to phase out their creature and just nullify it. So it has the drawing cards and protecting itself abilities that are the hallmarks of quote-unquote good planeswalkers. And then the minus 10 is take two extra turns after this one. And given that you get on a four-player pod, he can go from three loyalty to seven on one round of the table. <laughs> They're going to need and, to deal with him pretty quickly. And that's if you don't have any of the effects that double planeswalker counters, right? Like sure. if you have those get ludicrous with the fairy because you get to do it so much. You know what I mean? It's not like you're activating your planeswalker once. You're, you're getting to double the, the counters every single turn in the entire pod. That's a lot of doubling i mean it's kind of gauche at this point to say that this place x planeswalker into doubling season is like a you win the game because so many of the planeswalkers do that by going up to a loyalty that allows them to ultimate right away um but he earns his slot in, in attracts it for sure because it's no different for him than it is for say tamio or whatever because he's going to mm-hmm. come in under a doubling season with six loyalty and then one round around the table if all four players are still in the game is going to go seven eight nine ten and then it's back to you, and that's just been one round the table, and you're now taking two extra turns. Yeah, it's gross. He's obviously very competent, um, and I would be surprised if he's not a major part of standard at least, and seems like he'll get a good amount of traction in commander as well. Uh, I mean, in standard, just the ability to to make that to make those decisions multiple times um, seems like it's going to be great. You know what I mean? Like. The ability to do that every other turn means you are always going to be making that decision based on updated information. So it's going to play very well with for good players. So here's the crazy thing that people may not have clued into yet. There's a whole bunch of versions of this Teferi in the set. So it's all the same card, same abilities, but they change the art and the frame style multiple times to make literally the, the biggest nightmare for collection management and store inventory management you could ever possibly imagine there's the standard frame and then there are three alternate arts if you look at the art for uh this teferi there are these concentric circles of magic coming out from his wand or whatever and the only change in these other versions of the card are are that the those circles are different very subtle stuff. <laughs> what? Yeah. Wait, are but aren't, aren't they different borders though? No, 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 no. Just the just talk about the normal border version. Four versions of the art. So, if I open a generic at core twenty one pack, yeah. there are f- okay at least four copies of Teferia that i can open oh I, the I, same. I, I i see you're behind on this news so let me break it down for you no it's much worse than that i'm just getting started the regular pack version of teferi has four ver- subtly different versions of the art so they're like one's like a light blue one's like a purple one's like a blue and like different elements of the magic that's on display in the concentric circles changes so if you look at them side by side you'll notice it but at a glance very subtle stuff this is all just within the regular frame i'm still talking about now on top of that there is a showcase frame all of the planeswalkers in core 21 get a showcase frame which is not 
borderless, you're also getting a borderless frame with different art. But the showcase frame is the same art as the standard frame and has all four variations. So there are four in the normal frame, four in the showcase frame, and a borderless version with with unique art. And that's just in regular packs. Are there so there's technically at least nine versions of Teferi? Non-foil versions. <laughs> then add pre-release promos, add the ones that will have the silver planeswalker stamp from promo packs. Uh, all of the foil versions, foil showcase, etc. And so apparently the way this works is that um, it's still a mythic, but they are... Um, so go back to talking about just regular pack version of Teferi. Each of the very art variations is four times more rare than a mythic, meaning that you're not actually opening four times more Teferis. Each version of Teferi is a quarter of the normal print run of a mythic. Yeah, that's what I'd expect. But there's then also the showcase version and the borderless added on top of that. So I suspect we are headed into a situation where it's going to feel like there's a lot of Teferis around. And a lot of people are going to be very confused by all the versions. They're going to order a version thinking they need it to complete their collection. The seller on eBay or uh, whatever is going to list it incorrectly because they're going to copy someone else's listing and and not realize the difference. And there are oh, going to be yeah. so, yeah. so many problems along those lines. And it's unclear to me what the rarity difference will be for the borderless versus the showcase, because this is the first time we've seen that. Borderless has was basically equated to showcase in Theros Beyond Death and Eldraine. So this is... A whole new ball game. So what we really need to see is either a sheet of the rares and mythics so that we can pin it down, or um, our friends in Europe will have mass box opening data and we'll be able to share that over six or seven hundred boxes, this is how many copies of each version of Teferi they got. So you can figure out which one is in fact the most rare and the one that you should be targeting. <laughs> I <laughs> what why did they do this? Why would you make so many copies of this card? They must think this. I, they must think this is the next Jace the Mind Sculptor or something, and they're trying to make sure that they're they're. It's funny that the argument is raging still in Magic Social about not enough reprints, etc. Uh, Wizards not uh, being sensitive to the price needs of the market, etc. I, I think it's false. Like it's probably frustrating for Wizards because I, I'm seeing lots of evidence that they are addressing that those things. Fetches are going to get the reprint, probably in Commander Legends, maybe as as something related to Zendikar. It's coming. You can put that one to bed. And there's lots of other reprints happening this year. Hundreds of them, in fact, between Mystery Boosters and the Core Set and Commander Legends and the Green Commander thing, etc., etc., etc. Lots and lots of stuff being reprinted. They're giving us Fabled Passage within nine months of the first printing of it. They gave us Mana Crypt twice between Mystery Boosters and the Core Set. I mean, Double Masters. Um, and now they seem to think Teferi's a pretty big deal and the whole set's built around him. So they're giving you a trillion versions of Teferi so that there's just tons of them in the market. I, I, I don't know what 
the price of Teferi is going to be. I, I feel like it would be a bit of a tug of war given that, um, you know, you would have extra copies potentially in the boxes versus a normal mythic status for a planeswalker running against a lot of popularity. And then you'd be kind of trying to scope your way out. But in 2020, heading into the summer, we're in a real weird position. First of all, core sets in the summer don't traditionally don't sell that well. I'm hearing whispers that the collector booster boxes for core 21 will be uh, more scarce than we have come to expect them to be. If they were done on a short run print press post COVID, uh, then I can completely believe that. You know, if they weren't sitting in a warehouse four months ago, if they are newer than that, then Wizards could easily have adjusted that print run to be pretty modest, um, in which case they'll sell it pretty quick. But most of the, all the versions of Teferi are not unique to collector boosters. They're all available in the regular packs. But there's no place to go play Magic, but it's also probably a commander, a great commander card. So I don't know. I, I know I'm going to probably want to own Teferi at some point, but I don't know what my entry point will be. I'm just trying to figure out what the what the marketing strategy is, what the intent behind print, producing that many copies is. Like, why why do we think people need four version, four just four normal pack versions? Forget everything else. Like, what is the appeal there that are and that are basically different? I mean, it's. I mean, I guess for the for for the a very small percentage of collectors, they have to get all of them. But I can't imagine that there are enough of those people to meaningfully impact Wizards' bottom line. So, who who is this for? Well, to me, it's just there's just a little bit too much variation and too much product confusion for no added benefit. I completely get where they were going with giving. Uh, the planeswalkers their own unique frame that makes sense but why not just make that the default frame and then if you want to do a borderless version on top of that so be it that that much would have made sense then you would have had four four regular versions in the unique frame plus a borderless that's still pushing it but okay but nine versions like do i need a standard frame and a unique frame like maybe they were worried that unique frames wouldn't be well received like i it, it's it's kind of bonkers and that's not even where the the confusion ends for this so keep in mind that in this whole col- you know project booster fun thing starts back in eldraine we've had it in eldraine we've had it in theros we've had it in ikoria we now have it in core 21 this is the fourth set one full year more or less of worth of Project Booster Fund and the Collector Boosters and Showcase Cards. In Ikoria, we have we also had some confusion, but people seemed less put out by it. And what I mean by that is that in English booster boxes of Ikoria, you have the, the comic book art style on a bunch of the mutate creatures. And in the Japanese boxes and with the box toppers, it is Godzilla-themed. Same creatures. Not all the same, but mostly the same. Some of some the same. And so that was already showcase plus Japanese version of showcase, more or less. 
And they also uh, uh, pulled out the triomes and made them showcase. So the alternate art for triomes was available in regular booster packs. We've just come out of, you know, everybody's been buying those up in our Discord. It's been a very popular arbitrage item. Um, so when as we get into Core 21 here, the borderless treatment that had been reserved for Planeswalkers alongside showcase cards in the previous sets is now being extended to, is being used on the Planeswalkers, but also a group of six reprints. So it is uh, three rares, two mythics, and an uncommon. The uncommon, I'm pretty sure, is revealed as Cultivate. Uh, then you have Grim Tutor, Containment Priest, and I can't remember if we know any others along those lines already. Um, but those are not extended arts that are exclusive to the collector packs. Those are going to be in regular boosters. So... The stuff that's exclusive to the collector boosters this time is basically just everything else that isn't covered by Planeswalkers, the six reprints, and I guess that's it. So all the other rares and mythics that aren't one of those two things. So you're talking your stuff like Rin and Seri Inseparable, Spark Hunter Masticore. There are a bunch of interesting cards that will get extended arts and that that's the only premium version of those that will matter because pack foils will still be dirt cheap because they still have the elevated uh, pack foil drop rate. Now, the other thing I noticed with the collector booster contents is there are now two slots where you can get a foil rare or mythic. And I think in the previous sets, that was uh, a single slot. So that could be a standard frame foil rare or mythic or an extended art frame. When we were doing the math around Eldraine back in the fall, you would basically expect that in a 12 booster pack collector box of Throne of Eldraine, you would get eight extended arts and four four foil extended arts, and you could build your EV calc largely around that. It's unclear to me whether the two foil rare or mythic slot means that some packs, probably a fairly low percentage of the time, could have two foil extended arts in the same pack. So it's going to be very interesting to watch the first couple of unboxings because that could have a major impact on the value, the EV of the Core 21 collector boosters. Yep. <laughs> I'm I'm listening to you and I'm like trying to keep track of this and I'm, I'm thinking like, wow, you have a much better grasp on this product distribution than I do because it change feels like it changes so frequently like every release it feels like i i can't i can't keep track of what the hell is going on and it's it's just frustrating for someone who's like supposed to be able to who for god i don't know a decade knew everything every product every way a card could come like i was a walking encyclopedia and it's all just like yeah forget it like there's no way to know all that this crap now, and I just I just don't understand what the point of it is. I don't see what they're getting out of it. Well, it's what we've been talking about. They're pushing the limits to test the limits. They want to know how far they can push all this stuff. One of the things I heard yeah, from second but, second but, hand from a distributor today was that the core the VIP packs for double masters. These are the hundred dollar booster packs that are going to be floating around. Um, that have two foil box toppers in them and a bunch of other crap. Uh, I think it's also got 
a small pile of rares and mythics as well. Um, are going to be counterintuitively in greater supply than actual boxes of double masters. Because and think about why wizards might want that to be the case. A hundred dollar booster pack is way lighter, has way less overhead associated with it than in terms of storage, printing, shipping, etc. Um, by weight, by volume, all of these benefits from a retailer that has to manage, uh, I mean, uh, a manufacturer and license driven company that has to manage an entire supply chain from the distributors down to the LG, LGS level, etc. Um, they would really love to convert us all into a method whereby we don't buy $100 booster boxes anymore, we buy $100 booster packs. <laughs> so... I'm not having trouble believing what this this contact told me about how it's going to seem like there are more VIP packs available than there are boxes. Hmm. At least for the first wave. Because keep in mind that for master sets in the past, we've all often clocked wizards for seeming to subvert available supply. Like basically choking off wave one so that it more or less sells out and starts to accelerate. And then they can cough up another wave in like four to six weeks and then maybe another three, three months down the road. No promises. We're not telling. This is limited edition, but we're not going to we're not going to make a decision on it how limited until we see how well it sells. <laughs> yeah. And how much the market can bear during COVID, I'm sure. So, yeah, I mean, VIP booster packs, we're trying to get deals done in the like 80 to $90 range. I'm seeing them as high as 130 U.S., and some sites that had them posted at those prices have already sold out. Jeez. I, I mean, I, I, I understand why Wizards wants to sell $100 booster packs. Like, that makes sense to me. I can see the appeal there. Uh, I don't see the appeal in nine different versions of Teferi. And, well, and yes, like, we, we, we've talked... So we've talked about how they're pushing the limits, right? That makes sense to me, but I don't understand what limit they're pushing. Well, right? okay, like, so let me establish that. The, the boundary they're pissing, they're pushing with nine versions of Teferi is my dad, a collector, a, a completionist. They want to okay, know, know whether completionists will buy all nine versions. That So I don't... That makes sense to me, right? I buy that, but... What I have trouble believing is that that is a meaningful part of their bottom line or and ever could be a meaningful part of their bottom line. Because how many guys like your dad are really out there? And well, but I think and, but I and think the more they the, the more they push it, the, the harder it is for people to be that like you run you easily run the risk of turning those people off. And I think when you turn those guys off, you turn them off hard because that means they if they ever decide to come back to it, they have to get back to keeping up with it and also make up for the ground they lost, which all seems unappealing. My, my dad will bitch and moan, but he'll buy whatever they sell him. The, but there is absolutely a curve there that you're describing. And there could easily be people from 20 years ago that were completionists when it was simple. Maybe they never bought any foils, but they had one copy of every card. They had a binder for every set and they finished the set. That was very common yeah. 10, 15 years ago. Very, very common. Yeah. I think it's a lot yeah. less common today. Yeah. Um, I would agree with that. I think you have, but, I think you have very complex uh, EDH collections. You have people that have cultivated cubes. You have people that are on the grind and are switching in and out of decks all the time and maybe not even using their own cards. But I think that the collectors who finish sets 
I would guess, is, is already a very small percentage of the population, but they have a lot of spend. They, and, I, and I think this is what people miss, is that it's not necessarily about how many people are in the hobby. It's about the total money. It's the revenue. It's the profit. And so if you, if you can lop off, like, what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to get across, and nobody wants to hear this, but it's the truth. If Wizards knew that they could give up 20% of their player base the people that spend the least money, that spend whatever, 250 a year or whatever. The Reddit crowd. <laughs> whatever. Just casual players or, you know, people that are on the grind and don't have, you know, they're students, whatever. There's lots of good reasons to not spend a lot of money on Magic. In fact, I encourage more people to do it. But if they knew that they could lop those people off, but double the income from people like my dad and me, that could be a huge win for them. Because, because one... Dr. Chilcott takes care of is equal to 50 or 100 of those people, if not even more. I don't doubt any of that. And I and I under, I agree that Wizards would do that if they're like, well, shit, we can get this guy to spend $10,000 a year. And if that means losing everyone who shows up to F&M with a cat deck that they converted out of their sealed product, then good riddance, because that means we have to ship less cardboard, too. Right. Like it's a win, win, win. But, uh, but the thing is, like, I don't. I, don't even, I, I think from their perspective, they don't even see that particular angle of risk. Like, there's been a lot of discussion on social media about how if you tell people too much that something's not for them, it'll turn them off the entire experience and product and brand, whatever. I don't. Yeah, I don't right. buy that for a second. I think those Me people either. can be pissed, simultaneously be pissed off, still be engaging along the axes that make sense for them be agitating potentially on social media the entire time for what they want, whether that's cheap fetches or whatever, but still have not actually reduced their spend. And that when fetches get cheap, their spend also won't go up, which is the, well, on, which is the only way that reprinting the fetches for, their, for those people would have made any sense for wizards to begin with. And so I think that they see it as a, oh, sure, you may stop paying attention to the details of our products. Some of you may decide to be completionists along a subset of the product line. Like somebody could say, okay, I'm still going to collect everything, but definitely not in foil. I don't care about foils anymore. Or they could say, I only care about foils. Or they could say, I'm only collecting extended arts or whatever. And I think those kinds of decisions could be made. But they're they're just betting that... And keep in mind, they've they've done tons of market research. Survey after survey has been sent out via their wide, you know, very large uh, mailing list. So they have better info than we all do. They, there are. Well, I mean, it, so, okay, hold on. I, I, First of all, I was just, hold just on. I, I do want to cap the point <laughs> or the multiple points. Take none of that to mean that I support nine versions of Teferi. I think it's confusing. Right. I think it's unnecessary. I don't want to own them. As a completionist in other hobbies, but not really magic, I wouldn't, I'm, I'm never excited about something where the extra stuff you want me to acquire doesn't really add anything to the process. So I could see if you're, you know, advancing from student days to peak earning years, you might take, start taking on, okay, now I'm going to start collecting foil sets of everything on top of my regular set. But I don't think anybody was clamoring for, okay, I want four versions of the Teferi art where his belt buckle is four different colors. And I would also like to have subtle variations on the theming of his frame. Thank you very much. Yeah, that is some monkey paw shit right there. <laughs> um, 
I was I was only following up on your original hypothesis that they could potentially, you know, snag whales five times harder if it means losing some bottom percentage of spenders and like they would gladly do it, right? Like on that thought. I also agree that like neither of us here are advocating for any of this. We are just discussing it and recognizing the incentives for wizards to make these decisions. Yeah. Um, you know, we we can see the logic in what Wizards does, or we suss out what we suspect their logic is, but that doesn't mean that we we buy into it. Um, so that's that's another thing too. People should not talk about us like discussing why Wizards does something as tacit approval for. No, my my greater point here, and this is the part where I don't have the data, right? Neither of us do, and Wizards does. Um, but I'll cover that in a second. Is that I, I have to imagine that the percentage of people like your dad out there is just too small to make those changes, to make these changes worth it. Like a guy like your dad might buy the four different versions of Teferi or he might just be like, it's fucking stupid. I'm not bothering with this. Uh, like it just seems like the overall amount of money those types of people spend on magic is probably not enough to warrant the net this type of nonsense because i think the whale the well the collectors do spend a ton of money on magic i don't know if they're the true whales of the hobby like maybe they are maybe but i feel like i i guess this leads into another question of what does a whale in magic look like because i can see there being two different types of whales where you have the whale who spends over ten thousand dollars a year on magic cards but a lot of them aren't from wizards and then you have the whale like your father who buys pretty much everything first you know firsthand from official wizards channels and doesn't really buy a lot of secondary market stuff um those seem like two different market segments and how those impact wizards bottom line i don't know Uh, certainly worth flagging that i mean my father buys both but there, there is there are people that are one or the other the and it's worth flagging because that's what the premium product surge has really been all about, and especially with things like Secret Lair. It's been yeah, about Secret Wizards Lair. recapturing uh, revenue flow and profit flow that was, for year, many, many years, isolated in the secondary market, and that they treated as more or less sac- sacrosanct. They didn't want to acknowledge it. It wasn't their business. Their business was selling boxes to distributors. And they supported the LGS network to the extent that it would make sure they bought things from the distributors. But somebody had the brilliant idea of we should just sell direct. And I bet you the LGSs that are bad, doing poorly, will do poorly no matter what. And the ones that are doing well will be able to survive even if we take a greater share of the pie. And that is the underlying principle behind pretty much every premium product decision they've made in the last two or three years. Mythic editions, secret layers, collector boosters, the whole nine yards. Even when they're still selling through distributors... They are doing so with such ridiculous margins. This has also been about margin expansion, right? This is going from a heavy $100 box that they sell for, you know, about half the retail price. Then the distributor marks it up. Then the retailer marks it up. And it sells for between, you know, $90 to $120 or whatever. And trying to push as hard as they can into selling you four cards for the same price because that's what a secret layer is. A secret layer is basically them saying, we want to get the same for a secret layer unit as we get for a booster box. 
but we want to spend way less money producing it. So, mm-hmm. and I and I think that a lot of this still comes back to this point we've revisited many times. I think that Wizards realized at a certain point that they were going to have a lot of trouble growing the size of the market. That the big pushes they got off uh, Duels of the Planeswalkers and then later Arena um, were not sustainable in terms of generating impressive leaps forward in revenue and profit again and again and again. And they realized that while they tried to figure out how to, over some period of five or ten years, expand the reach of the brand overall, they could probably just be mining the secondary market and mining their margin to expand their bottom line. And they've been bragging about it ever since, so clearly it's working. Yes, I, that that's all true as well, that Wizards has made the, the push to... All of their decisions have been to recapture that secondary market. I'm not debating that either. I, the other, the other thing I wanted to mention was we keep talking about how wizards has more data than we do. And, you know, they know things that we don't, but we're mostly giving them, or at least by default, it feels like we're giving them credit for making the right decisions with that information, (laughs) which I'm not, I'm not going to do. I'm not, I'm not giving them that either. I I think that's why it's like, yeah, and it's like, okay, I believe that you have this data that I don't, and maybe the numbers say what I kind of suspect they say based on what you're doing, but I don't agree that if that's what they are, that's what you're the right choice, right? Like, like, there's no way for us to know this because we don't have the data, but to assume that Wizards is making the right decision at every juncture based on the information they have is I think foolhardy. And this is this is interesting because I think what happens here is we actually have uh, a sort of layered approach. So you have the average person who looks at a wizard, you know, looks at, <laughs> doesn't think about wizard's decisions. Wizards does things, it happens, whatever. That's like level zero. Level one is the guy who's on Reddit who's angry that they won't reprint fetches, right? He's like, I'm annoyed because they're not doing this. Level two is the person who goes, they're not doing this because they have some info that tells them not to do it, right? Like, it's not that you know better than they do. It's that they know something you don't know. And that's the piece of the puzzle you're missing. Level, which is kind of roughly where we've been. But level three is probably saying, Wizards has information that you don't have, but I still don't believe that they're doing anything right with it. That's the galaxy brain version here. (laughs) Just giving them as little credibility as possible. We're going to see it tested because the Teferis are going to be in the market shortly here. And we're going to see how well this card sells when there's a bajillion versions lying around. I'm not 100% tuned in yet. I'll try to run this in math for next week or the week after um, on whether there are, in fact, extra Teferis. So, for instance, in Theros Beyond Death, because uh, the drop rate for the showcase mythics seemed higher than it was for the regular mythics, for the showcase planeswalkers, Elspeth, Ashiok, and Calyx. Um, and the f- cross reference against the fact that those cards just weren't in high demand made for a pretty awkward situation where those cards never really took off. Ashiok saw some pretty strong early play, but then it kind of faded out of the meta, and, and those 
three planeswalkers have largely languished in in borderless version and i think they're available for very cheap prices right now um but teferi could be a different animal because maybe it's a multi-format stable well yes it could be but i i i don't know I, I this feels weird to say, but I'm at the moment I'm not even convinced that Teferi's price tells us anything about how successful this strategy is, because it feels like his price is going to be a uh, product of his popularity and functionality in formats, not in how pretty or badly people want the various versions of the card, you know. Like if to, what if Teferi is a complete bomb, like competitively, competitively, then this is going to look very good. foolish. Then yeah, so then, but like, what is what what information are we looking for here to see if this strategy worked? Right, like if his price is bad there, or if he's not good competitively and not good in EDH, like just generally not a good card. I don't see how the alternate art versions could possibly matter. Well, they and, well, I mean. It, Yes, because that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If if your card is bad, then it won't matter that you have alt versions of it. It's the same problem as the fact that they're creating extended art masterpieces, essentially for every rare and standard at this point. That is not all. That is not a showcase. And so yes. you have all these bulk bulkster pieces that are going to pile up in binders, and that some of which will be unlocked. Like they'll they'll just become combos, as you know, cards are wont to do. Um, and could be activated down the road, but others are just going to be. But if it's rotting, but if he's if he's good competitively and his price is high, I still feel like we don't know if that's because he's got a bunch of different artwork. It could just be because the card's good competitively and people want him to play with him, and there's demand on that axis. Like it just it seems like it will be hard to track the artwork having an impact on the price essentially. Well, no, 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 because the price all else being equal, the price should be driven higher than normal because think about what's actually happening. If I present nine copies of something and you can only ever need arguably one, two, three for EDH and four for competitive play and it's still selling out, then it means people are building collections because they're buying nine at a time. Oh God. Right. <laughs> Like nine, that nine, is an that, awful and, sentence. And that, that's really at the core of what we're discussing here. They were like, okay, so commander players probably buy three or four of key things because they have three or four decks plus. Competitive players buy three or four because they need a play set. Could we target collectors with a higher number than that and see if they bite? That feels like we're, we're, what we're testing here. Now, the problem is there's a lot of like interference in the signal <laughs> that's this year that's my point. this year and this time period especially and given that it's a core set it's in the summer covid no organized play the neutering of the pro tour even before covid etc 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 all of these things have been kind of steering magic away from competitive constructed paper play and so it's going to be pretty interesting so i mean let me put it this way. The Borderless Planeswalkers from Theros Beyond Death. Kallax is $3 for the Borderless. <laughs> the Jeez, that seems like a buy, by the way. El- Elspeth is $4. Uh, no, $3 market price. $289, actually. 
And Ashiok is the highest because it actually saw some standard play at 570. So these three borderless planeswalkers are very cheap. If one of those was a little Teferi equivalent, it would not be very cheap. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that they were actually, there was a lot of them. They felt more like there was more of, because I think the, you could end up with the way that they structured the set and the products related to the set. There are more of these than there should be of a mythic planeswalker is the bottom line. So I need to run, run the numbers on the Teferis. Cause as I said, the four variations are just uh, all add up to one mythic slot essentially in terms of total rarity, but there's three total versions. There's the borderless, there's the, um, the uh, planeswalker unique frame and the standard frame. So I don't know if there are more to fairies than there are of regular planeswalkers. That, I, that needs to be done. I, I just want to come back to my concern being the the signal and the noise issue here. I think that the interference in the data is is the gotcha. Is there is not like even if Teferi's price is high, even if it's higher than um, other cards of that nature. It's, you know, by what percentage is it going to be higher? Is it going to be 5 or 10% higher? Because there's no way that we can talk about 5 or 10% being a relevant... That, that's not a, um, a significant finding, right? Like, that's not a reliable data point. So I feel like that's another issue here is that it's just going to be like, well, sure, he's $4 more at the peak than this other card was of a similar nature, but, like, that card was... You know, not it, it, there, there's too much going on right now to, to be able to rely on that as an answer, I guess. Now, if he's twice the price, then sure, you got me. But I, you know, what are the odds of that? So Ben Blyweiss over on Star City Games has an article up already called Just How Many Versions of Teferi Master of Time Are There? Definitely worth a read to get uh, some crystal clear info that goes beyond the babbling i've been laying down so far okay just so people can wrap their heads around what i've said but may have not have said as cleanly as i would have liked you said that was on star city yeah it's on star city all right so let's we, we spent all that time just on variations on teferi and the other quirks of the product presentation for core 21 uh, we've seen most of the mythics, if not all of the mythics. Did anything else jump out at you out of, say, you know, the other planeswalkers, etc.? Um, I mean, there's a, yes, there's a bunch of interesting cards in here. Uh, no question about that. Um, oh God, is that? I have to rewind here. Uh, that one Stormwings presence definitely uh, caught my attention. The five mana three three flyer with prowess who costs three less if you cast an instant or sorcery this turn which means that it's got a delver a delver vibe going on yeah that that seemed all the the mana reduction cards actually seem quite strong um that i've noticed so far that red one is pretty sick too that chandra one so all of those seem viable and these are the types of cards that i'm talking about like oh this could be pretty significant in a constructed 
format. Um, now, is that constructed format ever going to happen? I don't know. That's another question. Yeah, it's going to be really weird if there are cards that people think are just about standard, so nobody buys them. Nobody flags them as EDH, having EDH potential, Pioneer, Modern potential, so they just kind of languish and get real, real cheap. And then additional sets are released that, and keep in mind that core sets especially, they tend to seed cards for themes for the next year. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw that last year and we've seen it in prior years. It's very likely to be the case here again. So, like, for instance, any vampires that show up here would be very suspicious, given that we're headed back to Zendikar and vampires is a major tribe in black there. In the, yes, in, the same, that... in the same way that they fed us elementals last year heading into um, sets where that mattered. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely their their deal. But th- those all s- strike me as um, pretty competent cards. What did you think of the Chandra? Five mana, five loyalty, discard your hand, then exile the top three cards of your library. Until end of turn, you may play cards exiled this way. So that potentially draws you three on a plus one. Let's see, five mana, plus one, discard your hand. Uh, that's fine. You're not using, you're obviously not using that to turn you play it. You're using the shock ability. Which is also a the plus shock. One. Yeah, the shock seems a little mediocre if you're, because this is definitely like a Jund card, right? Like this is a mid-rangey type of Chandra. Um, you know, we know that, that she's five mana for five loyalty planeswalker. It's definitely that type of card. So the plus ability there seems very potent for Chandra and that type of strategy, but not the turn you play it, which means you're relying on that shock to do something the turn you play it, which seems questionable. But that plus one's pretty good. I don't know. Then again, I don't, I, I'm inclined to think that Chandra is not fantastic here. And if it, and even if it is like you're, are you ever playing four? It seems like a one or two of, right? Sure. Liliana Walker of the Dead, two double black, four loyalty, plus one. Each player discards a card. Each opponent who can't loses three life. Uh, Very Liliana of the Veil reminiscent. Uh, Minus three target creature gets minus X, minus X until end of turn, where X is the number of cards in your graveyard. So that kills a creature stone dead most of the time. Um, Because presumably you're going to build your deck to lean into having a stocked graveyard to make sure that that does something. So you're oh. you're dis- you're knocking cards out of their hand. You you want cards in your graveyard for some other reason, and so Liliana slots into the deck. At her minus seven, you get an emblem with at the beginning of combat on your turn, target creature from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. So this is the reanimator Liliana. She's she's decent. I mean, you make them. To me, she reads as a synergy-specific Planeswalker build that wants a very specific shell. And as compared to something like uh, Little Teferi or Liliana the Veil, that are just, or Oko, that are just innately powerful cards that can be made, put to work in a bunch of different shells. This one is very specific, so you need to see the other pieces that she'd be working with to see if the deck has legs. Um, what do you think about this for commander purposes? 
Uh, I mean, that minus X is probably, or the minus three is probably fine-ish. You're definitely leaning on the plus one to just tax people's hands, which is also pretty meager in Commander. Like, yeah, you might get three cards discarded, but, I mean, it's Commander. People usually have a ton of cards in hand. I actually don't think I like her in Commander at all. I think we're agreed to Fairy Master of Time is somewhere between good and amazing. Uh, yes. Yeah. For sure. And and especially in Commander. I mean, the, the, the taking... Pe- people are going to... Everybody's going to be need to... need. This is a card where everyone's going to be... Need to be reminded that they can activate this on other people's turns. And then they're going to be like, oh, shit. When they actually get to do it. Because in, it is... In theory, in certain circumstances, you might go plus one, minus three, plus one, minus three, and then come back to your turn. <laughs> Yeah, it is absolutely a... Wait, wait, wait. You mean this doesn't just mean I can do it at instant speed, I can do it twice? Like, that's for sure going to happen with a bunch of people. Basri Ket is the white planeswalker, and I he might be sneaky good if white aggro is good. One double white, three loyalty. Put, plus one is put a plus one, plus one counter on up to one target creature. It gains indestructible until end of turn, so it gets an attacker through unmolested. Minus two, whenever one or more non-token creatures attack this turn, create that many 1-1 white soldier creature tokens that are tapped and attacking. So if you drop a one drop, a two drop, then Basri, and minus two, then you're putting two more creatures on the board attacking for two more damage alongside the other two. And... But he's at one loyalty. So doesn't defend himself tremendously well, given that you don't have the option of the tokens coming in prior to being committed to being tapped and attacking his minus six you get an emblem with at the beginning of combat on your turn create a one one white soldier creature token then put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control so in attracts counters i could see this being a role player but i haven't seen a mono white deck be super awesome and standard for quite some time i I think Basri himself is definitely quite reasonable. You're, I, a a three-mono Planeswalker with these types of abilities is looking to be on the offensive most of the time. If you go one drop, two drop, um, you can then minus two Basri and attack. And hopefully you're pressuring your opponent's life total enough that like, yeah, maybe they'll decide to attack Basri and finish him off. But you got... If you played a one drop and a two drop, you got two one one tokens for three mana and they wasted an attack and also tapped their creature so that you get to attack again on turn four. They, so it feels Yeah, mm-hmm. you're you're right. He's he's meant and to what? make sure that you don't counterattack because you need the blocker. Right, yeah, yeah. He like it, it basically if they swing back and kill the Basri, they have extended enough that your follow-up turn looks pretty spicy too and if they don't well great you now untap with four creatures on turn four um and then if you play him on turn three or later on where you're in the position that you can't just swing all out you know his plus one is like is obviously weak uh but it's trying to give one of your creatures the ability to play defense it's a type of planeswalker where people are kind of going to kind of dismiss it because it's not it's clearly a planeswalker to support turning your guy sideways and it's not that exciting, but people are still going to get bodied by this thing left and right. Sure. So um, he 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 if tasty. he's he could be the sleeper. He could be the sleeper. 
There's definitely some other tasty mythics here. We've got Masker Worm coming back as a reprint that is uh, back from Mirrored and Block uh, and is in a significant uh, number of EDH decks. The yep. fact that we're getting this as an extended art is pretty sexy. Um, mm-hmm. There's also Man- uh, Mangara the Diplomat, legendary creature, human cleric, three and a white for a two, four lifelinker. Whenever an opponent attacks with creatures, if two or more of those creatures are attacking you or a planeswalker you control, draw a card. Whenever an opponent casts their second spell each turn, draw a card. He, the Mangara of all the legendary creatures in the set right now is the one that I think might have the longest legs in Commander in terms of people building with him, like as the commander. The, you know, the, pl- the, the first half of the card is a little mediocre, but the second half means he's just going to draw you a ton of cards, which is... Pretty solid. Pretty solid. And the, and the whole thing is but, that white is the weakest in terms of card draw. Wizards has started signaling with this this card. Um, and and from a broader perspective, also signaling that they're going to help white with resource production and th- with things like Smothering Tithe. Um, yeah. And the fact that normally you would expect this card, I think, to be a rare. The fact that this is a mythic is a pretty big deal. Um, it's only going to have... The only special treatment will be the extended arts and extended art foils. And as a core set mythic, I can expect, I expect to be picking up bricks of this in Europe for cheap and doing very well with them indeed on a buy list later. Yeah. I mean, even if he's not, I, well, I expect him to be the most popular commander out of the set from what we've seen so far. I still don't think he's going to be that popular, but he definitely seems like he'll slot in a lot of white decks since he's just a white card draw engine with some extra upside. Um, I, I just wonder if this might be one of these those scenarios where you're supposed to just go as deep as you can go. 100, 200, 300 copies at European prices and you just double up via buy list a year later. Uh, depending on what prices look like, yeah, I don't... It's got to be so dirt yeah. cheap. There's, there's no reason a European player needs to buy this card. No. And, I mean, COVID preventing every American player from going to the store and buying boxes of Core 21 could have some dramatic impacts on that as well. Another good um, uh, reprint for Commander at the rare slot, Heroic Intervention, last saw, seen during Kaladesh mm-hmm. Block, and a card that was completely overlooked you know, flagged by some people as, okay, well, that, that could be useful in Commander, but nobody saw this being a $20 plus card or whatever it ended up at. No, and I don't... Excuse me. I, not, neither of us did, and I don't feel bad about not having seen it, um, but a big reprint for people who care. It's, it's uh, all-time high was $18, I misspoke, but still yeah. very impressive for this Yeah, this card. for bulk. Pro should be ball. Can I? I want to point out the card. I think one of the best looking cards I've seen so far is uh, Gadrak, the Crown Scourge. This is a three mana, five, four flyer, uh, red, and he can't attack unless you have four more artifacts. And at the beginning of your end step, you create a treasure token for each non token creature that died this turn. So kind of a mess. But a three mana, five, four flyer is a pretty good combination of attributes now you have to have four artifacts to attack with him but he doesn't have haste so you don't need to have four artifacts by the time you end turn two you have to have them before you attack on turn four but i don't think that's unreasonable 
um, at all. He's also legendary, which makes your Mox Ambers work. Um, I I like Gedrak, and I don't know exactly what that deck looks like, but a deck that wants you to play cheap artifacts, lots of cheap artifacts, is not is not asking you to do a lot that you don't already want to do in Magic, right? That's not a high pace, high price to play, pay playing cheap artifacts. So yeah. Gadrak is a card that he himself won't be pricey, but he could spawn some interesting strategies. What format are you looking at this for? Pioneer Modern. Oh. Yeah. I mean, Modern certainly is the one with the, the highest density of cheap artifacts that could lean into it. I assuming mm-hmm. you want to be running things like Anger of the Gods that do three when he can take four, so you can wipe the board, okay. get the treasure tokens, and then attack. I I I don't know what the deck looks like, other than it probably has Mox Amber in it. I just know that this card seems like a very good rate with a, an effect that's not that difficult to fulfill if you want to, and the added bonus is that. He's even he even makes treasure tokens for you to ramp up later on as well uh, to really pull ahead and get out of control. I'm not sold on it, but I'm curious to see if, when, where it shows up in lists. Um, given that we're should be and largely are focused on commander stuff, I'm mostly filtering the set through that lens. Another one that jumped out at me along those lines is Double Vision. This is just seems so obvious. Three double red. Whenever you cast your first instant or sorcery spell each turn, copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. So this goes in every is it commander deck ever. It's going to be ultra cheap in Europe. We'll buy a brick. It's going to be, it'll work. <laughs> this is like, yep. whatever the, what's the black one they haven't reprinted in forever? Exquisite Blood or uh, the other half of that? There's Sanguine Bond and Exquisite Blood. And I think the one Exquisite they have reprinted is Exquisite Bond. Exquisite blood. blood. Yeah, I have a foil Japanese copy sitting on my desk I need to flip. The uh, double vision strikes me as that kind of a card. That uh, yeah, this will see reprints, but probably not in things like challenger decks, etc., because it's very unlikely to show up in standard. So this probably gets its what it needs two to three years to mature. It's going to have extended arts, extended art foils. You can get Japanese extended art foils. This is this thing is real solid. Um, Cultivate is getting the showcase uh, with alt art, and the art looks great. So those are definitely going to get targeted, and it might take some time, but they'll get bought up. Do you notice that Cultivate alt art has a different rarity symbol? Yeah, so what's going on there is apparently they... When I talked to Ben briefly at Star City, he seemed to think that this might be show up twice on the rare sheet. So it's not actually an uncommon aura rare. Um, and because of that, they marked it rare instead of uncommon. They also very confusing. Two different arts at two different commonalities for the same card. I don't think that that's ever. I don't think we've ever seen a card printed at two different rarities in the same set. No. Yeah. Not that I can think of. All right. So there's also this one one uh, black uncommon. Where if it's played from oh, yeah. <laughs> anywhere but your hand, it makes a five-five flying black demon. Um, yeah, which is really wild to think that this was going to be in standard with Luris when Luris is a companion. Yeah, uh, are you kidding me? So you go one drop this, two drop kill their thing or thought seize them or whatever in Pioneer, and then you get this thing dead. 
and then Larissa starts generating five fives every turn because you're sacking this to Cadavan or whatever. So keep in mind a- that they printed Oko and then four months later printed Uro. <laughs> which Oko had been banned by the time Uro came out, but it was like, wait, these were going to be legal together? And now we got Luris, who hit the trash can, and then three or four months later, we were going to get Archfiend's Vessel. And it's like, what? What is going on over there? Ar- How- Ar- Archdemon's Vessel, but yeah. But yeah, Archfiend's. Yeah, it's just like... It's 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 a little shocking, honestly, to just keep... like the, It feels like two or three times that we've seen something like that. I mean, Containment Priest is being printed to keep this partially... To keep this in check or more that yeah. they felt comfortable with this given that they knew that that check and balance existed and there are ways to deal with it from the graveyard right like the best way to deal with Luris is to clear out their graveyard um and then kill the Luris. the this card is going to see play and if it was a rare or mythic i'd be trying to figure out uh what i was going to do with it as an uncommon the play is potentially foils but first, show me the more multi-format demand, because though it is still possible for foils to get there for the cards that don't get special treatments, and this will be one of them, uh, it really needs to... It's largely pr- predicated on the multi-format demand, or being a super staple in EDH. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It feels like the only time to buy this successfully is before you have any proof, which is exactly when I don't want to buy it. <laughs> So it's. I feel like there's no there's no correct decision, uh, no correct way to make money on this card. If you make money on this card, either you had incredible foresight or you made a bad play and got paid. Yeah, fair. Uh, there's a ton of cats and dogs in this set to support the aforementioned commander Rin in Siri inseparable, which I should may as well list off. Uh, one red, green, white for a four four. When you cast a dog, you get a one one green cat. Whenever you cast a cat, you get a 1-1 white dog. For Naya and a tap, your uh, legendary cat dog cat deals damage to any target equal to the number of dogs you control, and you gain life equal to the number of cats you control. So, whatever. Th- there will be foil extended arts of this that if they get cheap in Europe, I will buy some. <laughs> Not very many, but enough so that I feel like I participated. Uh, Ugin, the Spirit Dragon, reprinted. It's going to crater because there's nowhere to play it, then get back up. Chromatic Orrery, you think, is better than I do. Maybe you're right. Solemn Simulacrum is reprinted. We've also got Spark Hunter Masticore. Probably just a sideboard role player here and there. Bit of a release valve if Planeswalkers get too dominant at some point during its tenure. It's a 3-4 for 3. It is an artifact creature, so potentially works decently with uh, your 5-4 dragon there. If you could sweep for 2 or 3 Pyroclasm or Anger of the God style effect and uh, have some other artifacts on, on the table, this might do some work. Protection from Planeswalkers is the key clause, um, but it requires you to discard a card. This is a Massacre thing from way back, um, which seems like a tall order in 2020. Uh, For one, it deals one damage to target Planeswalker, so it's very efficient at getting them off the board. Uh, Spark Hunter Massacre gains Indestructible until end of turn. Um, 
meh, no biggie. Yeah, this is barely hit my radar. I don't think it's going to be any good at all. Uh, definitely caught sight of that black card that is, I think, a common where if, if for one mana, if you sack a creature, you draw two cards. That's got to be great in some future token strategy in, in Pioneer. Uh, I don't even know what card you're referring to. It is called Village I... Rights, and it is basically uh, the same as the card they've already given us, but instead of casting one and a black, it just costs one black now, which certainly makes a difference. Okay. I saw this was in um, a foreign language, and I thought that it was a reprint of that card from Innistrad that had a very similar artwork. Yeah, so not financially relevant, but I could certainly see it doing some work or maybe making a, a couple of archetypes more viable at some point. Ruined Halo is getting a reprint here at Rare. Uh, it's going to knock that one down a ways. You can expect Pack Leader, leader given that it gives other dogs uh, you control plus one, plus one um, to be a thing over some period of time. I don't know how quickly that foils of that would accelerate or whatever, but especially given that foils are still at the elevated drop rate. Baneslayer Angel is another major reprint here at Mythic. 5-5 five, five flying, first strike, lifelink protection from demons and dragons. It's done a lot of work in its past life and standard. Uh, unclear to me whether it will still do so here. The card is very potent. It was, I believe, slightly less impactful the last time we saw it, but still a relevant creature. And I would. it'll be interesting to see we are now... 11 years past M10 uh, if Baneslayer Angel is still as good today as it was 11 years ago when it first made headlines as being a ridiculous creature. Uh, it'll be an interesting litmus test for power creep and magic. Alright, that's probably good enough for now on M21. We're pushing three hours here. Uh, where can people find you online, Travis? Well, I'm on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. How about yourself? You guys can find me on Twitter at MGG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MGGPrice.com, and I am also constantly haunting our Discord. Uh, lots of good stuff going on in there. Lots of good group buys. Uh, some reasonably positive chatter about the state of the world and uh, the Black Lives Matters movement. So um, feel free to come check it out if y'all are so inclined while you're still stuck at home. If we weren't at three hours and my computer didn't just crash and we're recovering and I'm trying to get this wrapped before it does it again, uh, I would have opinions about wizards and, the, and their behavior in the last week and some of the news that has come out of. But <clears throat> oh yes, actually, good point. We, we meant but, to get to that. We'll do it next week for sure. Yeah, definitely. Not. I can't do it tonight, uh, but on my radar. Um, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order. Did you did you give us your Twitter handle? I missed it. Yeah, I did. You did? Okay. That brings us to the end of another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Enjoyed our discussion today, James. Thank you, Travis, and we'll see you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.